You're listening to the audio version of the Geek Apocalypse podcast, bought by yours truly, Mr. Resident Geek, Stephen Hesse. We are available on iTunes, as well on www.geekapocalypse.com. Broadcast live and exclusively from Newcastle, England, in good old UK. We also have a YouTube account, which is www.youtube.com forward slash geekapocalypse, where we'll be, we, we will be uploading all the videos from our podcast, as well as from Twitch. Speaking of Twitch, we are also just starting a Twitch account, which you can find at www.twitch.tv forward slash geekapocalypse, where you can follow us to find out all the streaming we will be doing on said site. Also, you can, if you want to know everything that we're absolutely up to, you can follow us on Twitter, which is at geek underscore apocalypse. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy being a geek. Hello everybody and welcome along to episode 93 of the Geek Apocalypse Podcast with yours truly Mr. Stephen Hesse and yes it is I, no it's not an imposter, phone the police, there's someone here, no I'm only kidding, it's me, the resident geek from Newcastle, England, trying his very very best to please your ears with the greatness that is podcasting, oh well, at least I tried. Well, hello everybody, thank you so much. If this is your first time listening to the show, you're very, very welcome. And this episode is with my friend Ricky, who is from Mentally Sound Radio Show, which is a show we do right here in Newcastle. And to plug that show for a very, very quickly, uh, if you're listening to this on the Thursday that this has been released, uh, tomorrow, which is the 9th of October, from 2 till 4 p.m. GMT time, you can listen to our Mentally Sound Radio Show on Gravity Radio Northeast. I think it's .co.uk, it might be .com, uh, but if you type it into all the available search engines uh you can find us and listen live as i say to said radio show tomorrow with me and ricky ricky who's co-hosting the show with me um if you can't do that you can also find it on itunes if you want to listen to it to show we talk about mental health in its entirety in a fun but informative way and it's really really fun so uh, you can find it on itunes as well so subscribe to that as well as this podcast obviously because <laughs> why would i not want you to do that um but as i say this is episode 93 with ricky uh, we went to benwell where he lived uh, for those that don't know where Benwell is, uh, it is just outside of Newcastle, like sort of east of Newcastle. Uh, or was it west? Not quite sure. My geography is terrible, for the, and everyone who knows this knows that I am crap with geography. And uh, yeah, we huge thank you to everyone at the community centre for letting us use one of their rooms. We did get interrupted several times, which is a little frustrating, but I kept it in because it, be, it is kind of funny. Uh, it's kind of like a bit like a do not disturb sign in a hotel. You want to not be disturbed, and yet you get disturbed all the time but yeah so anyway so apologies for that but it's still funny yeah so we talk about obviously he's involved in mental health rookie uh, we talk about politics which he also has a, 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 an interest in talk about howard stern talk about his uh, post-traumatic stress disorder as per usual like all of these podcasts very very honest and true and it's really really fun so i hope you enjoy it in terms of the upcoming episodes we're hopefully going to talk to julie stand-up comedian hopefully next week and do a hosted episode before we go to mcm london on the 22nd of october uh, so that's it but yeah this is episode 93 live from benwell with ricky favorite ricky on twitter <laughs> Okay, 
Hey, hello everybody, welcome to episode 93, and if you don't know, let's see if I get this right, Ricky. There it is, there it is, right above oh. here. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's really hard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because it it's ba- it's technically reverse, Yeah. so it's always like really, really hard. But yeah, huge thank you for everyone who's listening on iTunes and geekapocalypse.com and all the other affiliates. And obviously, if you're watching this on YouTube, we're going to give you a wave. Hello, 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 hello. Um, and I'm delighted to say I'm here with, uh, I would consider a friend now, I would say. Yeah, as far as to say. we're colleagues um, now. We're yeah. colleagues now, yeah. Um, uh, Ricky, who is part of uh, Mentally Sound, which is a radio show we do on Gravity Radio Northeast on Friday, uh, every second Friday, Friday. Uh, 2 till 4, which you can find on Gravity Radio Northeast, like mm-hmm. dot .com, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we do about Mentally Sound stuff, so I'm going to talk to him and a bunch of other things about um, like his work and various other things but hello Ricky nice to meet you how are you doing Stephen lovely to be here I'm good how are you how's oh, things right. glad to have you over in my neck of the woods I know yeah we're currently yeah that's a very good point we should say where we're recording this yeah. we're recording it in Benwell mm. which is where you're currently living is that right well I currently live just beyond the west end over there <laughs> <laughs> I went to I went to Egypt yeah. over here <laughs> that's a Peter K joke isn't it yeah. but yes I uh, grew up around here and I just work around the corner so um, cool it's, it's uh, yeah so when you say you work around the corner where, where, where do you well work? around the corner I mean I'll show you afterwards but it's mm-hmm. a um, no let's go now let's, let's do a remote now, yeah forget <laughs> <laughs> I just pick up the laptop and like, right, so we're going to go out Actually, the building. I mean, there's a really good Twitter account I recommend that I'll talk about that in a sec. But mm-hmm. um, this, this place just used to be an old bingo hall and they converted it. And where I work used to be an old bingo hall as well. All right. So that's been converted now into a warehouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's now currently sort of flats being made above. But So I'm working downstairs and I'm just sort of like a designer, designer below deck sort of thing <laughs> there is okay. such a job that sounds um, like you're um, on a, like a submarine and you're not yeah, meant to be well, there or <laughs> I, I like, like the isolation the torpe- of it all he's yeah. the torpedo man and he doesn't know what he doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> yeah that's really funny um, so do you like was that always what you wanted I'm kind of making this a conventional interview which I usually don't but I'm actually intrigued um, so did you always want to be because uh, Everyone who knows this podcast, I've mentioned them several times, is my good friends who I've known for a long time are graphic designers. Mm. And they kind of always wanted to do that and they wanted to do like website design, all that kind mm. of thing. Was that always what you wanted to do growing up? Was that always what you envisaged yourself doing? I, I think it wasn't until my teenage years where I felt, you know, what you do in life, everyone seems to have a niche, what they want to do. I was a bit unsure. And it was a weird thing. I can still remember quite, quite kind of shop still now. It was a it was an art class, and there was a teacher who you know when you get certain teachers who basically put the shits up you in a way you know. What yeah. you think? I don't but, know where you were going with that. I started <laughs> laughing because I was just like, you go, there was a teacher. Yeah. Our eyes met across the room. <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah, that's yeah. For another show. That, that's, yeah. Um, that's the X-rated bit. <laughs> um, but that, you know, one of them ones where you felt if you don't put an effort in, you're going to get you know the wrong end of his stick, basically. Mm. That, that doesn't sound weird. Does it? <laughs> No, no, but in all seriousness, to get you out of the hole you've accidentally dig yourself in is to say, when I, the, re, the, the primal reason, I, I, well, I, I always think the primal reason for doing things should be that you're interested in it first, first and foremost. But also, um, me and my sister, my sister is a creator, she's just moved from Preston to Blackpool, but she mm. was doing the Harwich Museum in Preston for a while. And she says, like, predominantly why a history passion for history mm-hmm. got developed growing up was because we had the same teacher in, in school who was incredibly um mm-hmm. you know like uh passionate and resourceful about it and he really 
wanted you he encouraged people mm-hmm. to be you know to be passionate about what they what they mm-hmm. liked and she credits him for getting interested yeah. in history and i'm convinced that majority of the reason why i stuck with history even at university mm-hmm. as a minor um because mm-hmm. i ended up doing english but um i had history as a joint degree mm-hmm. which mainly down to his encouragement mm-hmm. because he um, he encouraged me and my sister, even my brother, who was not really academic minded, mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. So as you were saying, you know, I, I get. That. I mean, I but always, I, I always kind of liked art, but I remember even in primary, secondary schools, it was more of a, a leisurely kind of. Mm-hmm. It was like one of those lessons that you look forward to because it wasn't like maths or science or anything, which you know made you like think really, really blaringly, and it was mm-hmm. so difficult. So when when I came across this teacher, and he basically kind of made you want to put an effort once I put effort and interest together then that kind of molded and I thought wow I think there's something in here and they say oh you've got you've got a pretty good talent you can draw mm-hmm. so it kind of and I just thought finally I've found something I'm, I'm kind of okay in and, and see a viable future do you always like have the sort of feeling like because I have this feeling with one of the reasons that I incorporate stuff that I enjoy and, mm-hmm. and I feel I'm good at um, I always get that you know how one goes like you know you must get frustrated and and mm-hmm. and demotivated some of the time and i i always say you always do but, but that feeling i always get when i first start doing something mm-hmm. like now as i just started this podcast with you it's just like i always get the feeling of i want to do this mm-hmm. it's the same with gaming even if i stream online mm-hmm. and the game doesn't go like the the stream experience doesn't go well mm-hmm. the actual act of playing a game whether it be a board game or video game or whatever, that's always been with me and I mm-hmm. always get that buzz. Is that the, is that how you feel whenever you do any Definitely. Artwork? I think um, once you start looking at various influences, um, you know, I, was, I think I've talked to you before about how music influenced me as well. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this. One of my show, biggest show, yeah. influences, probably the biggest, has always been album covers. Yeah. And oh, it was always a, a passion. Talk, talk about that, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when you look, I think when you look throughout history, and if you look at the the time when certain albums were released at that time, if you look at the cover art, it was very much of its period, if you know what I mean. Not uh, just the to- substance uh, of the music. You're totally right. Yeah. You know, if you think back to, say, like the Velvet Underground, the 60s, that was, oh, that was so Warhol. Right. And from on, you get punk of the, the 70s. You're and so right. New Wave, yeah. um, another thing to, to, to reiterate that exact point is to is um i made this point in relation to to films mm-hmm. because we were talk i was talking to someone online about um the 80s and yeah. saying if you look at the 80s and and the influences that the 80s have like if you see it like you were saying about a poster whatever mm-hmm. it may be if you see something yeah. you can look at that and go even if you've never seen the film before you can probably have that's, an idea that's the of what power the of design is. that's yeah, the power of design exactly. in a so way right. it was probably that which stayed me away from fine art towards graphic design mm-hmm. although saying that when i went to north Tyneside college which i that year that i had because the year previous was when i had all my sort of various problems going on you know post-traumatic stress sword and then I, I almost kind of fell out with art in a way because mm-hmm. i was losing that ability I was losing a passion so I always credit that place as rescuing it for me it was mm-hmm. like I still credit it as the best year of my life because mm-hmm. the people there who I met were people who were from all all broads of life you know there were people who were coming off alcohol people coming off drugs or people who were trying to deal with bereavement at the same time and it was just a wonderfully um Mixed. Are you talking about the support you got there? Like, were you a part of a support group or something, or did you just? It wasn't people? a support. It wasn't a support group. But like it kind of became a support group because we all had this same passion, and rather than people backstabbing each other or kind of getting jealous of each other's work, we were all kind of encouraging each other, because graphic design in a way is a very kind of male, upstarty kind of atmosphere. 
and it's like you know you get someone who'd say oh that's pretty it's good. amazing it, 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 you make a great point because there's a that, that that's something that i find you know how we touched on i just asked you earlier on about motivation and mm. staying motivated one of the things that really stresses me and frustrates me is mm. you and you hinted on it there was when even when you start from the bottom of the totem pole and this and as as soon as you give someone an ounce of Mm. something within their field that they want to be part of they just start like you say the backstabbingness or going oh well i enjoy that the success you have is really not is is really great but instead of giving you this opportunity i'm going to abuse Mm. this the opportunity you gave me because i want to i want to do what you do which um frustrates me because the one thing that people don't want to hear is the fact that anything you have to do that you want to be successful in requires way more hard work that's mm-hmm. never shown in the public eye. Yeah. So if you see someone in a in a on a on a front of a, a magazine, mm-hmm. you know, which is in, obviously another thing we can touch on art based things with yeah. magazines and stuff, mm-hmm. is if you look someone at the front cover, art has the the power to look at someone and go, oh, I wish I was like them. Mm-hmm. Why did they get the break that I didn't? Mm-hmm. Not realizing that, like with every photo you save a person, there's mm. a thousand photos that are being rejected yeah. because they uh, because they got rejected mm. probably ten thousand. Does not relate to um, a recent mentally sound show that we did when we talked about body image. When, yeah, that's uh, a good point. Yeah, because promoting one society, body, I yeah. think society in a way gives out very subliminal messages of how we sort of ought to be, or how be. we should conform. Yeah. and I was. One thing which I loved about art and punk and that sort of rebellious kind of attitude is to be non-conformist. Mm. And it's something I'm still proud to be to this Essentially day. Essentially fucked the system, yeah, which I basically mean, was the point of it. I mean, with body image, it's like, you know, we, we hear in the news, I mean, we're both within the mental health fraternity of what goes on and, and what's in the news. And one thing that has been true is the rise of eating disorders, the rise of body dysmorphia, stuff like that. And when you have people on front covers and you've got vulnerable young minds who think that, you know, gosh, is that who I have to be? Is that what I've got to do to be accepted these days? And when you can't, because often a lot of people fall short, mm-hmm. that's when the problems start to arise. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I think, to disassociate to, 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 to that, is to also say that when you say people fall short, that's true in some cases, but what a lot of it is it's fallen short as part of the process. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll, they'll get like one... Of course it is, yeah. They'll get like one setback and go, that's it, I've tried. Yeah, that's it, yeah. I've tried. Whereas what the, the secret to any form of success mm-hmm. is when something like that goes wrong, mm-hmm. you associate it as a bad day yeah. or a step back. Or yeah. maybe it's not even a step back. If you probably have the mindset to look at it as mm-hmm. have an awareness about it, mm-hmm. it's probably just like, okay, today wasn't my day, but yeah. tomorrow's a different day. Yeah. And if you, I, I've found, and it's hard to get in that mindset, if it's not part of your genetic makeup, it's very hard mm. to do it that way. But I found, if I have that approach and go, okay, yesterday was rubbish, but today is going to be much better. Even if it was slightly better than yesterday, if you have that mindset, you'll achieve mm. something mm. far quicker mm. than giving up in the first hurdle, which is what a lot of people I'm the, do. I'm the type, and I still uh, am to some extent, that if I if I... If the day starts off badly, that's it. Yeah, the day I, is bad. There's absolutely well, nothing you can do that's going to rescue it. Sometimes but, that but can often, happen. You know, sometimes it does happen. You know, and sometimes that can be healthy. Yeah, sometimes that can be healthy. So it can be healthy sometimes to go. Okay, today I'm not able to do what I can, yeah. so I'm going to make it a, a me day where I'm just going to look after me, and then I'll try harder tomorrow. Well, I'll give you a um, recent example. Just just right, last Saturday, go for it. I wasn't feeling particularly too well. Um, yeah. And, you know, I have to do a, you know, sometimes when you have anxiety disorder like I do, it's like when you go out and you've got to do things, even something as simple 
there's a shopping trip to do some food shopping. I mean, really, really hard. And, and you've got to, like, work your way around it, plan, right, I'm going to go this time, I'm going to turn that way, I'm going to, you know, to avoid anything, I'm going to, you know, even going out to work sometimes, you avoid certain ways, because one thing I'm really crap at is stopping chats. Because uh-huh. when I leave the house, oh, I'm in that I, I frame of mind. I've got no anxiety disorder, and I do not like that either. <laughs> <laughs> but please do not stop and chat with me. I just need to get to work, or I need to get to my destination. Once I'm settled in, you know, you can, you can, you can reach me there. And I mentioned that on the uh, a stream I did last night, where I actually mentioned I bumped into an old high school friend of mine. Okay. And do you know when you have one of those situations where you talk to them and you kind of go, "I remember you," but then I'm not sure they remembered me. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I'm like going, "Hello, such and such." I'm not saying it. Oh, well, I name is Cheryl. I don't think she can listen to this. And um, and uh, yeah, so I, I name is Cheryl, and she actually used to go out with uh, one of my old friends, mm-hmm. which so that's why I knew probably knew her more than she did. But we all like hung out every day for a long period of time. Yeah. And I'm sort of talking to her, and as I'm talking to her, I'm sort of getting slightly offended because I'm thinking, she doesn't remember me. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least if she does, she's kind of, as she's talking, you know, you can see the wheels go on her head where she's going... I don't actually know if I, I don't yeah. I don't remember his name like and I'm going you don't remember his name we used to hang out but then I did actually say during the conversation because she she was serving me at a, a supermarket so that's where it was from. that was the context and I did at one point say but bearing in mind I hadn't seen her in te- like I hadn't been to school with her in ten years so I'm like okay. you know maybe she does mm-hmm. maybe there is credence that she forgot my name because it has been such a long time ago mm-hmm. she also mentioned her daughter was six and I sort of freaking out I'm like such a six what the hell but anyway yeah so it's amazing no, when friends are parents you know. Um, like I don't know how how uh, I know like you're not meant to say this for for women, but how old are you? How old, you're roughly about the same age. Thirty seven. You're really thirty seven. Yeah. I was say you the same age as me. I'm ten years old. <laughs> you're ten, that's ridiculous. You do not look it. Cheers, mate. Uh, and I mean that. that, 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 that this is becoming a homosexual podcast. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> no, I mean that in the nicest way. You really are. You really do look like. Uh, but then. You know, skin there was cream. there was one Buy person. Yeah. There was one, yeah, exactly. Mm. Moisturized people. Um, there was one person in a stream yesterday who were like saying to me that I looked forty, but I'm like, oh, I made a joke where I said I, I actually, I think I came out of the womb with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I'm sort of like. Um, but um, I wanted to touch on if you don't mind talking about because you, you 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 had the mindset of. Mm. Hi. Hi. Excuse me. Are you having a meeting? Yeah, we're having a. Conversation right now. Just pop these back in the cupboards. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. We can we can edit this out. It's fine. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah. Are you okay with me going moving on to yeah, talk about that? Because you touched on it, so I felt yeah. it was fair. Um, but yeah, we'll wait. That was, that was, it's, it's it's interesting. I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to say before we started it that I was going to say about um about about doing it about um. I should clear up the point I was making about shopping. I'll clear up that point. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you. Um, uh, about shopping. So what? So what was it? What were you saying? Yeah, about? just going back to what you know, making making it a me day. If, oh, if, yeah. if something things don't go to plan. Yeah. So Saturday, yeah, I was feeling a bit down. I was getting very anxious. You know, I was having difficulty leaving the house, and I thought, well, I'm not going to let it be defeat me on this particular occasion. And you just find means of ways to turning it around. And I just thought, right, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to relax, I'm just going to make a curry, and I did, mm-hmm. and it was really nice. Was, in fact, it was the best one ever made, and I just looked back at that day and said, yeah, it was a success, mm. forgetting all that. It's a success that. because what I think people don't realise, that's a very good example, is that I think what, and I struggle with this, is that you don't realise that actually doing them sort of days every now and again mm. really helps you in terms of days where you are successful. Mm. Like, it, it makes it more successful days. Mm. Like, so you, you can... 
you can appreciate when good things happen even more so by yeah. doing that because you do need a break every now and again mm. um, especially if you've got any sort of mental health issue which mm. we both have is that you've got mm. to give yourself a break because I I am a person that from my point of view I, I think too much mm. so I have to find ways of un- to not think mm. about things that are traumatic to me or, or, or things that are upsetting me and I like fo- I spend too much time focusing on that rather mm. than sort of having the ability to like watch an episode of Star Trek or something mm. and kind of just immerse myself in that mm. and just de-stress myself mm. that's really hard for me but I wanted to kind of ask you because you touched about because I don't know about post-traumatic stress disorder and I, I do get anxious about things but I wouldn't say I have a disorder or anything mm. like that I'm not certainly not being diagnosed as having one mm. so obviously with me having bipolar disorder these things can overlap but I just wanted to ask you from your perspective like how does like first of all how did you find out you had it was there a particular experience you went through because obviously post-traumatic stress disorder implies that something traumatizing happened well, it, what, there was an incident. I mean, uh-huh. if, if you want me to go into it, I'm you can if you're comfortable with it. You don't okay. have to. It's not a. It's not a. I feel like I'm Howard Stern no, now. No, no. Like I'm like, prod- <laughs> tell, tell me all your all your badness. I well, was I'll, I'll skate around the issue. I won't go yeah, into graphic. You, you know? don't need to. Just no. if you want to. Oh, do I won't little... tell you what, what I said to the police. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Well, but, um, I, I've I've mentioned what I've said to, to, in my crazy mood things on this show yeah. so yeah but okay. if you only if you feel comfortable well yeah. i'll see where it goes but I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm quite comfortable um so yeah it was back in the 90s so um this was during i think it was a it was a very hot summer mm-hmm. and was it 93 and i was just kind of it was one of those summers where you can't really sleep and you know you would sort of be awake at night drinking and whatever and i just remember i'm gonna go downstairs have have a glass maybe i had a very similar like that yeah and it just so happened that I, I disturbed a burglary, which was happening in my own wow. house. Okay. So um, yeah, um, it, it became a case where I was sort of held at knife point and made to ransack my own premises. Bearing in mind, my family was still asleep upstairs. Wow, and, that's horrible. And this lasted for about like you know two three hours whilst they kind of ransacked everything so they had you a knife so you they had you buy a knife mm-hmm. and they basically you like were watching as your house yeah. was taking and the, like, you know they had, they had stuff, and stuff yeah on the, the that's tra- that's that is traumatizing um th- so yeah that, that that was then it was like it was a two three hour ordeal and then they tied me up and went off for everything and you know I, it, why did they tie them up did you just think that you were going to go and tell someone we, yeah, uh, I mean... I'm assuming that's why they would have done that, to stop you from getting help. I mean, they, they made threats that if you moved, they would basically they killed kill you. me. Yeah. Okay. But knowing that they weren't going to kill me and that I played along by their rules... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good thing to do. Which, yeah. So if right thing once do. they sped off, they knew that I would immediately kind of get help. Mm-hmm. But they wanted a bit of leeway, you know, a bit of time to, to speed off. So that's why... So they used, they used sort of like telephone wire and stuff. And they actually gagged me using toilet roll. And, yeah, terrible. Yeah. So, so what happened? Did you then get picked? Did you then get found by your for parents? Well, I, ma- I managed to loosen myself because they oh, didn't right. do a very good job. Yeah, that sounds like a good um, job. I then woke my mum and everyone else, and um, it was quite weird because everyone thought I was having a nightmare. Mm-hmm. It was like I'd go back to sleep. How old were you? Like, you? I was. It sounds like you're quite young. Fifteen, I think. Yeah. Fifteen. That's really not great. And that, that goes back to, you know, that time I was telling you where I nearly fell out of art. Yeah. I think that was when my condition was starting to manifest, where it was 
destroying all my passions. Uh, I get it now. Me, you know? I really I understand it completely now. So, um, and that's why I credit North Tyneside for kind of rescuing me because mm. it was like two, three years down the line where I just giving it all up. But mm. the brilliance of the people in that place helped me. Um, mm. I mean, they didn't know what happened to me. I think they just sort of saw that I was a bit of a, a quite vulnerable son who had something there that just needed to bring it it's out. It's funny because I'm happily, I'll happily share this with you because I've mm. done this before, but because I just sort of compare, I'm not saying it's, as you know, obviously separate instances, but because um, I wanted to ask you before I ask you this, I'll just say what what happened to me because mm-hmm. that's freakishly similar, but not but it, not in terms of the um, like the traumatic experience I had, which let I think exasperated my mm-hmm. mental my, my mental health issues was um, my parents getting divorced because mm-hmm. one of the things my parents did exactly same age as you, about fourteen, fifteen, and was that they used me as a negotiation tool so they were like where is he going to stay but instead of but instead of it just being that i decided at that age to see my dad even though mm-hmm. um you know that's a big decision to make for someone that age you were to like go, the, the football between the yeah two. they had the, well the, ironically my dad cared about me being a footballer and stuff which is that was another thing that mm-hmm. i was stressed about okay. but yeah they literally made me the go between because mm-hmm. i decided to see him and then my parents write, well, if he's going to go and see him, we'll just have our divorce mm. with this 14-year-old kid relaying information. And it mm. was, this happened for mm. weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I was it was just affecting me mm. every single time. Mm. And that led to me having my head towards my first depressive cycle. Sure. And then um, having the guts to tell my teacher mm-hmm. I had a problem. Um, mm. The reason I bring this up in relation to, because I want to, Get, I want to get on, get on to a couple of the questions that you, in relation to what you said. It's just to say that led me to I I loved going to school, I loved learning and all that kind of thing. And I actually know there's very few people that know this, but I actually got special permission to do my exams outside the regular exam times. I think yeah, you told me. Um, that and the reason for that is because I went to them and my GP said mm. you're never you're not in the you're not in a mental mentally you know, like you're not mentally well enough. But this was to your GP, yourself... wasn't it? it wasn't... Yeah, my no, no, it wasn't me. Wasn't coming it like up with student it. counselors or stuff like that then? Uh, no, because this is the this is the thing that um, this is the thing that I I push for now is because mm. we don't really care as a, an academic. You mm. know this that they don't care about a, a mental health mm. until you go to university. Mm. That's the only time you can ever go to mm. a counselor because mm. they actually like dedicate that's people if they are have going there. To begin yeah, because some universities don't. Then that's worth mentioning. I was fortunate when I went to Northumbria that they did. Mm. Um, but anyway, this was at sixth form when it first started. So I was at my old high school, which was just sixth form, yeah. the next level. And my GP recommended it because he knew that I didn't really have a, a support network there. I had to go to the headmaster and get permission to do mm. that. And in fairness to them, they were brilliant. Yeah. They organised it. They and I sat kind of embarrassing because everyone else has finished for the summer I'm going a week later two weeks later going into a a room that they've hired just for me and getting Mm. a person to come and moderate my exams Mm. and you can hear your page turning as you're doing the exams Mm. and looking back I'm just thankful I passed them you know Um, but the reason I'm saying this is to say like there's a couple of things that I felt which I I find common and I'm interested to know if it happened with you if you're okay with talking about it it's just to, to ask you like did you you were not to blame for that mm. whatsoever from what I gather you just saying that but did you ever feel responsible because kids I felt even though 
now looking back I know my parents did something wrong with me that they should never have kept me involved in it they should have let me leave me alone with it but did you ever feel just from your own perspective um, that it was your fault or do you ever like think about it and go I wish I'd have done this I wish I'd have done that yeah yeah you always you always look back in hindsight the what if, thing, wish, yeah. Yeah, the what what if is, game which is I horrible mean, yeah. But you know what? I've sort of analysed it over and over again in one way. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad that I was... She's brave to do not, it, by not, the way. Not glad to have gone through the ordeal, but in a way, the situation could have been a hell of a lot worse. I mean, what if it wasn't me? What if somebody had woken up? What if someone else had went downstairs and w- didn't play by the rules? And, Good way and of it became at it, yeah. a, a violent situation. What I'm if not, you hadn't have, have listened to them and, and yeah. cooperated and they ended up going and killing one of your family Because my, my granddad was staying with us at the time. Oh, he, that, yeah. He's a very, he was a very feisty, evangelical kind of guy. He, <laughs> he wouldn't have took... Uh, <laughs> took shit, yeah. No. So he would have, you know, and he would but have... In all seriousness, we're laughing, but, like, you yeah, know, that could I have mean, went horribly wrong. So yeah. in, whilst I'm glad, I'm also kind of angry that it happened. But, you know, the, the, you, you mentioned blame. The blame is always on the perpetrators. Yes. Yeah. Never, Absolutely. So. Yeah, if you're going to blame anyone, like I mean, yeah. the only regrets that I do have about that situation was um, the day after, once I'd so spoken to police and everyone, they actually got somebody from victim support to come around and see me. Uh-huh. And the thing is, once word had got out what had happened, people were coming up to me and saying, "Treating you differently, you're a hero and well done." And, and suddenly you're uh-huh. you're kind of high on adrenaline, adrenaline, and you kind of feel this kind of bravado coursing nice. through your veins, and you feel a bit of a superhero. But then. Do you ever get a month, two months down the line, that that completely flipped because when you know post-traumatic stress as a as a one of its knacks is to manifest slowly and it'll slowly creep up on mm-hmm. you. It doesn't hit you straight away. I mean, yeah. you remember our conversation with Jason, the soldier. Mm-hmm. I mean, he saw saw all sorts of things happen from you know colleagues being blown up and stuff, and he didn't feel symptoms until he got back home and realized there was something wrong. You know. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, that's that's kind of the problem is you're not aware. I mean, most traumatic experiences don't sort of have repercussions until you analyse it afterwards mm-hmm. and it starts seeping away at you. Um, because you never feel that you're going through a traumatic experience while you're living. Well, I, I still remember my very first panic attack. It was in a history lesson. And going back to mm-hmm. that same time in, in uh, our teen years at school, it was, it was during GCSE year. Mm-hmm. So it was getting close to exams, and you can, you know, you can know that the classroom's a bit tense, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. And I remember people revising late. It, it was a history, <laughs> it was a history lesson uh, as well. Nice, uh, yeah. And my teacher, she, she asked this question, and uh, she was sort of looking around, so who can answer this? And I was like near the back of the class, and I was quite small, and you know, still am. <laughs> but I was like hiding behind, make sure I didn't want to be asked. And then she sort of. Cupped her head round and she spotted me. You're 37, you might grow yet. (laughs) Still time. (laughs) Let's hope. And, uh, you know, I had the answer in front of me. Uh I just had to read what I'd written, you know, this this paragraph. And I said, all right, fair enough, she's picked me, right, here we go. And suddenly I just started hyperventilating the palpitations in my heart and I just thought, Mm -hmm. what the hell's going on? The pressure of everyone looking at you and everything. Yeah, and everyone's like looking at me saying, is he all right? Well, I don't think there's no is he all right? They probably just thought he's blank or he he doesn't know the answer. Mm -hmm. So then she moved on to somebody else. Can anybody else help him? I was just thinking, what the hell happened there? Mm -hmm. I've never felt like this before. Mm -hmm. But I thought thought everyone had that at the time. They just... Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing about that is people could just look at that as a sort of layman's perspective and go, mm. 
and go, oh, he just was shy. Yeah. Or as you say, like, there's other reasons. But no, that but you, then they became, being aware of it, it's a deep-rooted problem. It became problem. more frequent, yeah. and then that's yeah. when I realised. But, you know, I didn't get diagnosed until my, my early 20s after I'd graduated. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it was a relief because finally I could sort of pin it down what it is. It wasn't your, uh, yeah, and it's not normal. Get this, yeah, mm. get this. How did you deal with it until you got diagnosed? Did you just struggle oh, on? I just trudged along and just, mm. you know, there was times when it really beat me down because mm-hmm. most people who have panic like i had a i've had girlfriends who have had like issues with anxiety and whatnot and um because i went out with me and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, no as uh no in all seriousness that they would um that they would I, I usually find when people get really anxious or have a problem you know a problem like a disorder in, of that at that level mm-hmm. is they get they deal with it by not dealing with it yeah. by um by kind of just going be defeatist in it and kind of go i'm gonna because what i want to ask you in relation to that because i always find this interesting because i don't know what the right answer is you 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 might say there isn't the right answer is because people often guess like what is the best solution with someone like that is it if you feel anxious do you give in to your anxiety and let it pass and just just stay at home or or do you do the whole cruel to be kind thing to yourself and go i'm gonna force myself to go does that, and does that help long term or is it I, just in the early days I did force myself because school college in a way you felt you had no you choice need to, yeah. but now that you once you start to accept that you've got this recognised condition and what we as campaigners awareness campaigners try and do is to you know things like in the workplace is to recognise people who do have mental health issues is to try and accommodate that or accept it you know if, if people were physically sick or if, if people are on maternity leave, we accept that and we work our way around that. Why can't, you know, if suddenly you just think, you know, I'm not feeling well, says, do you need time? Fair enough, you know, and just let them do what they need. If they need to go outside, if they need to, you know, walk around the block or go home even, you know, because they're not well, then it should just be accepted, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in the early days, it was very kind of deal with it and do it. But now I kind of feel that more and more people, not enough still, but kind of recognise it. So when I do say that I am feeling unwell, we kind of know what's going on and kind of accept it. So it's That's turning, good. but not, not enough. That's good. You know. um, what do you think about, um, like, because I often get frustrated, but I think this is kind of the issue with a majority of mental health issues. We touch on this on the radio show all the time, mm-hmm. is that people like to compare even if it's not comparable, like I'll give an example of that. Some people said to me, even when I was in hospital fighting to stay alive, that they would turn around and say, oh, well, I know what it's like because I had a couple of days in bed and I hated that I just broken up with my boyfriend. Mm. And I just would look at them as, Mm. and my entire life's being ruined and Mm. I can't even put one foot forward in front of the other. And they're comparing it to so a, a legitimate, yeah. a legitimate yeah. reason to be depressed, and it's probably not even depression. It's probably mm. a natural yeah. response because who doesn't get upset mm. and sad when something meaningful ends? That's a natural reaction. My, well, my, my and I just want to know, just to paraphrase yeah. to you before you answer, it's just to say, just to finish my thoughts, to say, how do you feel from your perspective when you know? Because I know I have anxious moments, yeah. but I wouldn't in any way say I got to go through what you do because that sounds mm-hmm. far more serious. Like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you let people understand about more about what it is that you go through? Like comparing it to regular regular everyday life. 
Well, I'll, I'll make this comparison. Yeah, Hopefully, I think I'll start off the answer. My, mm -hmm. my friend said to me, because he was asking similar questions, um, he finds a lot of things in life doddle in a way co mm -hmm. compared to me. You know, yeah. we, we kind of feel envious of people who, <laughs> don't we? I mean, Some of the time. Who can do things at the drop of a hat where we've got to like pre-plan and think, oh, yeah. I don't know how to do this. And that. You do have to live a much more structured life exactly. in mental health, yeah. So he, he was trying to get his head around it and, and I appreciate him doing so because I, I appreciate people when they're curious and who ask questions rather than kind of rebuff it and just think, you know, you're weird or whatever. Mm. And he said, you know, the only time I get nervous is when, for example, I go for a job interview. You know, it, you know, nerves might get. Oh, better that must be end. the worst for a person who has anxiety. Yeah. But no, he was saying he what he was saying was so basically then, the feelings I get when I go to a job interview. Do you kind of feel that virtually twenty four seven? And I says, well, yeah, that, that's not a bad description of it actually. That's and then and then fair. he sort of nodded head and said, all right, okay, I kind of get it now. So, mm. and there's times where I've sat with him, for example, and I just said, you're right. his name's Dave, by the way, and I just say, mm -hmm. Dave, I'm just I just need a few minutes. Uh, is that all right? I just need to sort of go out for some air because I'm feeling a bit, I'm hyperventilating a bit. And he just says, yeah, because he gets it. I think once you get the message, that's so important. Mm -hmm. I think that's that for any you know people who are listening to this who who are maybe not sure how to how to handle it. I think that's something I've had to learn as I get older. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you've got ten years ahead of me, you probably learned this quicker than I did. But yeah, is if I'm feeling really down mm -hmm. and I'm like. I used to beat myself up so much about like saying to them, I'm sorry, I can't do this fun thing we're meant to be doing because I'm not capable yeah. today. Yeah. And I used to feel so bad about sort of the term letting them down. Yeah. Um, well, but I still not do. realizing that like, yeah, I still do because yeah. I care, like, because yeah. I don't want to like go yeah. and say, I want to be responsible yeah. for my friends. Yeah. But I have to, you have to unfortunately get into this mindset of um, the you've got to realise that, like, you can't turn up to them days because you're probably doing more harm than good because you're going to turn up and be yeah. worse a yeah. person yeah. by going, you know? I And I used to fall in that trap all the time. Mm. Like, as you said, like, you, you, I heard you, you mentioned it earlier. Like, if I, for example, had a friend's house party mm -hmm. and I wasn't in the mood to go, when I was a teenager or even in my early 20s, I would go regardless of how I mm. felt mm. because I, I didn't think that it was understandable. Whereas, as you say, if you've got friends who understand it, you just say to them, look, and um, and I, I've got I've got friends who have similar problems that you do with anxiety and whatnot. And as I say, we're girlfriends. We would sit in a public place and like my girlfriend would go, I really do not want to be here right now. Can we leave? And I'd be like, yeah, no problem, because I understood that it was difficult. Um, the relationships I've had, uh, unfortunately, hasn't been the case. <laughs> <laughs> it's been very much the antithesis that you explain to them. And I remember Why one, are you so difficult, yeah, Ricky? Nah, yeah. I remember one, just, she'd just stay on the phone every time I had an argument. And she'd say things like, you know, your anxiety thing, your PTSD thing, I just don't get it. And that and that 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 phrase still rings in my really head. Really annoys you, yeah. It kind of puts me off relationships in the future. I hope it doesn't. The thing that really I hope it doesn't either. I I still have hope that there's someone out there who are going to understand that, like, because you always have to make the mindset of. You see, I make this distinction. This is the theory I have, right? Is that I I I say, think about. I think ninety percent of the time that I'm a worthwhile person who does is much more caring and considerate than 99% of the people out there. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that when someone sees me in the 10% of when I struggle with my illness is mm -hmm. they start judging me on the 10%, okay. not the 90%. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are a majority of people in the world mm -hmm. who don't have a mental health problem mm -hmm. 
are twats mm-hmm. and they'll be twats a lot more than 10% of the time mm. but they're not judged on that because it's they're just being a twat energy. because you changed it from being a twat to having a mental health problem mm-hmm. and I that baffles me that we're in a society where you actually have a well-known condition mm-hmm. that is now you know is justifiable and it, it is understandable to why a person behave mm-hmm. that way and yet it isn't dealt with in a better sense than someone that's a twat. Like, because someone that's a twat might get laid for being a twat. I don't get laid for having a mental health problem. Like, you imagine that. You go into a bar and you're like, all right, I have bipolar disorder. <laughs> Fancy. And I'm like, that just wouldn't work. Whereas if you go in and go, I'm going to... I'm gonna shit on this bar, and I don't know, like you go, and um, and I'm gonna buy everyone a drink, and then I'm gonna pour a drink in your face, and then there's a bit, there'll be one, I guarantee there'll be probably one girl in that bar. She's crazy, but there'll be one person, the one girl in that bar is like, he's so wild and so. All like, oh, oh, women love bad boys, yeah, and, and oh, yet, oh, I can nurture him, I'd make him better, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. because. But most people who behave that way probably do have an underlying problem, which is what I find interesting. They're just not diagnosed and choose not to deal with it, which I find fascinating. Whereas we have the bravery to say, to go and ask for help and say that we're not want to live this way anymore. Mm. Um, and yet we get treated differently. For the how, most how soon was it where you were able to, beyond, beyond being a student, were you able to sort of talk about it openly? Um, I think... I read I, I, the 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 key situation was the first breakdown I had mm. where um I realized that the biggest mistake you can make with anything you go through is difficult mm. as I did because the first breakdown I had I'd basically locked myself in my room mm. uh, in my thing and I was basically I had a complete manic episode that lasted far too long mm. um and I was what scared me was like it's difficult to say because bipolar disorder can you know you're almost not you not you mm. when i'm in my worst it's like it's almost you're a different person and you're you're like someone's having an out-of-body experience it's been described that way with things i've read but basically i'd finished my first year of uni and they'd mm. given me extra time because they knew i was struggling and i actually went through the first period of uni all right i'd just mm. come off well, I just told you about the depressive site where I'd got the extra stuff for GCSEs. Had an okay summer and then university gave me a new lease of life because people started treating me with my own personality. I was more open mm. in, in university, but I still felt I was lying to some mm. degree. I was just telling people I wasn't feeling well when I had much more of a bigger problem. Mm. And then when it got to that summer, when everyone went home at mm. uni, I went back to my parents and stayed there because obviously the digs, like mm. no one was around. And I went, oh, I'll go back home. And actually, I wasn't even living, living. Actually, first year I wasn't even at a dig, so I went back to my parents, and I stayed there. And you have nothing to do. There's no one around. Um, uh, and I start. I just it became overwhelming, and I had a period of time where I stayed in my room, and I just because I was so unsociable, and I was so not, just not wanting to face the world. And the the key the key situation was. This was during the time MSN Messenger existed. I'm probably going to laugh when I say that because you're like, there'll be kids going, I don't know what MSN Messenger is. It was like, what? I don't know what would be the I've comparison. Got, I've got now. a story about MSN. But we'll get to that. Yeah, but, but yeah, it wasn't like, well, I'm trying to think what the comparison would be now. What would be the thing of MSN? Probably like Facebook Messenger, I yeah. suppose. Like Facebook. DM basically, Facebook, it was like yeah. DM and Facebook. Yeah, it was basically you'd log on to your MSN address and you had like contact list mm-hmm. and you'd be able to click on them and have like internet conversations. And that's how we used to mm-hmm. talk. Um, when it first came out because um, you used to have to get that with your Windows email uh, you used to get it for free anyway so I turned on my computer that day and I was very suicidal during that period of time which people know who've listened to this 
Um, and I had just so happened to turn my computer on and it auto-signed in. Mm-hmm. And I'd actually drawn out how I was going to die. It mm-hmm. was I was I was done really with mm-hmm. life and and uh, without a friend of mine at university opening a conversation with me, I just I don't even remember parts of this. Like I remember talking to her, but I don't remember what I said. Apparently, I started talking in a Shakespearean manner. Like I started mm-hmm. like, "How goes the evening?" And I'm about to commit suicide by getting the blood of my aunt. Like I I was doing like a monologue of. That made no sense and she got scared of quite rightly mm. and apparently at one point i turned my webcam on and i was back i was like flickering a knife which obviously is a I remember massive, you telling me this yeah it's yeah. it's honestly like i'm not you know i say this not to be sort of proud it just is like mm. i'm not proud of it but it's just true you know mm. that and this is the point in answering your question the re- i i believe in telling this because at the end of the day the truth is the most valuable thing you can mm-hmm. say to anyone in your life, regardless of what truth it is, mm-hmm. you know? So, and what led me to tell the truth was after having that terrible summer mm-hmm. and when she, that day saved my life in the sense of it led me to get sufficient help. Mm-hmm. It And the only reason I did is because I had a conversation with my, like I sort of something just went off in my head which made me go I need to tell someone what I really feel because I was bullshitting with even my GP you know that thing I told you about where I got depressed he gave me antidepressants but I never told them the, the sort of the most difficult parts so when I got to the psychiatric ward the first time because I've been in twice uh, two serious breakdowns mm-hmm. and I went there and two doctors came in to see me and went and before they came in a voice in my head just turned around. It was it's it's powerful today. It still resonates with me even now. This is like ten years ago. Is there was just me, my voice saying to me like there was a mirror in the room, like a, 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 and I just looked at myself and went, you know, um, he's he's just like you know, Stephen, you haven't laughed in a very long time, and that one sentence just made me sort of burst down and go, and I know, and I just was like, yeah, it's because I'm so unbelievably miserable. And I'm not telling anyone why I feel that way. And when they came in, I literally, the chuckles of being so embarrassed to say how I felt, mm. I told them how I felt. Mm. I told them about wanting to die, how, how I planned it. I told them all of it. And I was, because I, I, it was almost like I didn't care, mm. but I cared enough to tell them, which is kind of weird. It's like an oxymoron. It's like sort yeah. of a, a hypocritical stance. But that day on, to answer your question, led me from that point on, really, I have told the truth since then because i realized part of if if anyone's going to be if anyone gets blamed for mental health or whatever it is but again society makes you feel bad about it and embarrassed which is why being open about it is is really important so i get the difficulty in that sense but i just realized i'm prepared to take the embarrassment of someone saying why be so open about it because i get i get abuse on twitter i'm sure there's probably probably had instances where that's happened uh, where people go why are you so open why it's not just it's always about you uh, which i find ridiculous when you go i'm telling the open world about my life and how difficult it is to tell people not to put the put the the scope on me and i just realized that like I deserved some part of the responsibility by the fact that I had opportunities to tell my GP to help, mm-hmm. but I was so frightened of the answer mm-hmm. that I was convinced, you know, because you don't get told how it, how it works, so mm-hmm. you just assume you're going to get locked away and never see anyone again, mm-hmm. or 
you reach the point like I did where you have a suicide attempt, it doesn't work, mm. and you suddenly find yourself not giving a shit and you just mm. tell them the truth anyway. And from that point on, I just realised that the only way I'm ever going to get well enough to have a worthwhile life is to tell the truth. Yeah. And then as you get older and you see all the suffering, needless suffering that people go through, I just suddenly realised... The first thing you've got to do is accept yourself that you have this this problem. Mm -hmm. Once you accept it, then you entrust others to accept it as well, you know? Because that's something we really share, as as what you just touched on with the thing about anxiety. That's why I asked you about going away and hiding, because that's what I did, because I was so scared about what people thought about me. See, it's it's interesting Um, because, you know, when when you're in that stage of life, that kind of teen angst mm -hmm. is so kind of huge and volatile. My first attempt was of that period as well. Mm Mm-hmm. It was during Chris. It was during Christmases in sixth form, and everyone was getting quite jolly and drunk and stuff. And I just remember thinking, you know, I'm having a drink with everyone here, but I'm not happy. I'm not getting what they're getting in a way. Why? Why am I feeling shit so inside? Get that feeling, yeah. So I just went home and I got even more mortal. Mm-hmm. And then I went down to the quayside, and uh, I just sat there and I was actually really considering just sort of jumping into the into the time. That's awful. I can't quite recall what made me decide otherwise but um that was the first and i just thought going back to what you were saying that you know i've just got to tell people um and then when i went through university i would sort of slowly tell people that i have anxiety but i don't know why i and told I, people at the university and they laughed at me i mean i think that's kind of the problem i think during one drunken uh, session in the union bar uh, you i like sort of broke down. confessed to a person <laughs> this this is what happened and i'm struggling mm-hmm but I think he was so mortal he, he wouldn't have remembered the plus they, they'll then turn around the next day and go he was drunk he didn't yeah, mean it yeah, he didn't mean yeah. it he didn't mean it you don't know what he's talking about um, I had a, a person I lived with at the time mm-hmm. I actually had the balls to turn around and say oh I've, I've had this I nearly flunked sixth form and mm-hmm. I'm still sort of recovering I was still on antidepressants in my first year they kind of stopped working because then they realised mm-hmm. I was not really depressed. I had a much more yeah. serious problem. Not say, and I, I hate saying it. I hate saying that phrase as well because actually, I'm not saying that depression is not a prob. It's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a, a serious problem. Like mm-hmm. it, it hosts depression is a serious problem. What people fail to realise with bipolar disorder is depression is a symptom. It's mm-hmm. not the cause. Like mm-hmm. it's a part of the mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the that's the issue is they always deal treat you with depression because that's far easier to deal with than, yeah. than than a much more serious problem. But anyway, um, I've had two instances in my life, and the worst thing that my mom did, and I don't blame her in the sense that this is the way they brought up her generation because she had me at um, like at early forties, so like you know. She's now in she's just turning seventy in, mm-hmm. in a week, and um, and I remember I was crying at school all the time, and I went. I just said I've had enough because I was crying mm-hmm. before she would turn come home. Like I would cry, mm-hmm. have the courage to not cry, and then sort of mm-hmm. pretend. Mm-hmm. You know, you get good at faking. That's mm-hmm. what I think people never understand is you get good at faking mm-hmm. that you actually mm-hmm. spend more time being fake than being yourself, yeah. which is not a good existence. But you kind of no, do it as a. But anyway, and I just, I just went. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't stop crying. I can't hide it. And I went in, and her and my brother were there, and I told her, and she said I was a disgrace to the family. Oh, and I took me such a long time to to actually turn around and and tell anyone again because I felt kind of betrayed but then I kind of realized later in life when I spoke about it and learned about it was it was my mom's way of handling it because my mom's got issues herself she's got Parkinson's and she didn't know that at the time but um 
they just don't deal with they don't deal with this stuff it's like so thing, it's a generational it? thing of you know it's a we it's regarded as a weakness it's a bit like the whole you're going to war and you can't be upset about the yeah. fact that you're going to war you've got to like be brave and honorable not and i think it's much more honorable and brave to tell the truth which is what See, I was my my, my family is the same in that way that my dad when he knew i was on antidepressants he actually confiscated them <laughs> and i and i rang them up because I had a feeling he might have something to do with it, and he denied it. Uh-huh. And then I went, I went, I went searching more, and uh, yeah, I found them in his drawer. And like you know, he... and then my mother, rather, you know, you know, to take a hundred and eighty degree swing of it, um, she was in a way of that opinion. But when I had my breakdown, um, she kind of thought to herself. Well, actually, there's something I recognise here because when she had me, she went through a really bad postnatal depression. Mm. So since my breakdown, me and my mother have actually become really, really close. Oh, that's good. I mean, it's funny because I, I compare this, and again, it's not me just just <clears throat> destroy. I, I wish my mom had dealt with it better, mm-hmm. um, and I, I do think she made some mistakes when Are I. Were able ever to told reconcile her. since that moment? Or? Um, I went to see her today, uh, mm-hmm. actually, before I came here, um, just to pick up some stuff mm-hmm. and. The hospital stuff I went through made it very difficult. Um, it, it's it's it, it's a very fragile relationship right now, but mm-hmm. I'd say it's fixed in the sense of we both care about each other. Mm-hmm. I just think there is a, a a kind of, I suppose, an intellectual gap in mm-hmm. in the sense of just she doesn't fully she, because that generation. I find I was going to mention my dad in this as well because mm-hmm. my dad. I found out afterwards when I announced this one of the things I did find out was that my dad had a horrible time as a teenager and when my parents first got married my mom actually did go to the trouble of telling me that my dad was a very depressed guy mm. when they first went out mm. and he actually brought the subject because my dad's one of these guys I don't know what your dad's like well, my dad's one of these people like we just do not talk about anything remotely difficult emotional you know even if Newcastle lost it's like we're not talking about it that's too <laughs> depressing uh, uh, my dad's one of them people he just he's on, he wants to be funny and that's it which yeah. uh, has its rewards but I'm not like that I like being funny about it being serious just as much um, but anyway um, yeah he um, he said to me like oh I went through the same thing man you just need to get over it I just need to get over it and that was his sort of advice he's like my mom went oh you should talk to your dad and I remember my dad brought it up and went you just need to get over it and you just need to like snap yourself out of it and and, I'm, and again it's this old old generational adage of mm-hmm. you know I did everything I could during all periods of this time to like I, I admit as a teenager but if you're a teenager of course you're going to lie because you spend the whole entire time worried you're going to get into mm-hmm. trouble so I understand that and I take responsibility for that but ever since then I've tried everything I could to get better I'm aware of I've got a lifetime problem Mm -hmm. so I'm never going to change in that regard I can only just try and cope with it as best I can Um, so the only way I can do that that's the same conversation I have with my my uncle because he's my boss as well and when I say you know I have have PTSD you need to get your head around this this is what I have and then you immediately say so what's the solution then what we're going to do what's the solution everyone always wants a fix it doesn't mm. work like that. Mm. My dad, bless him, he's not around anymore. But what one one do you call it irony? Because the example I gave when he used to confiscate my antidepressants, when I went, when I Why had did my, he do that? Did he just think it was? 
uh, he just didn't believe. So he didn't, didn't believe. He didn't believe in medicine. Yeah, he was totally anti-medicine. Yeah, it uh, is kind of once you say that you're on an antidepressant, yeah. there's some generations. And that I go, suppose there's probably a little bit of shame element in there as well. He wouldn't want to be finding whole, out. Just, yeah. rub, just walking. You off. know, he's he's my boy. Yeah, you know, he doesn't need antidepressants yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. But once once I started my sessions with a mental health nurse, and you know, Talk CBT, you. and you know, talked about everything, and when I mentioned that my dad used to hit himself. Because what he used to do is when he, because he he had a bit of a short fuse, he would actually self harm when he used to like get in arguments, say for with my granddad, because they were like you know cats and dogs with each other. That's interesting. And he would take off his like shoe and really belt himself with it. As a kind of stab himself out, literally what I just said. Well, I think what it was is that my granddad, my granddad was an evangelical kind of guy, and uh, he he would really kind of make you feel (laughs) where you belong, you know, because he had that authority about him. Yeah, yeah, and. And he, uh, undoubtedly, during the, the arguments with my father, he would have said, you know, oh, you're obviously this, so you obviously that. So my dad's, oh, really? So then he would start hitting himself. Say, well, obviously, I, I deserve this then if I'm, if I'm this to you. And, you know, whenever that used yeah, to happen... Right, okay. I misunderstood what you meant there. No, okay. I used to, like, run under the covers and, like, you know, I don't want to say this. This is scaring the crap out of me. Mm. When I mentioned to the, the nurse, she kind of thought that was quite interesting as a sort of a... You know, something that kind of grew up image-wise and kind of have it. I guess it would depend on the severity of it because occasionally, if I start thinking bad thoughts mm. that I know are not justified or, or are like you know, it's important to mention as well that self harm is not just the, yeah. the, the 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 image of the, the night. The, the night, yeah, no, there's the, all sorts of yeah. I just literally, the, as the as the phrase dictates, it's just literally harming yourself. Mm. I mean, no matter the severity of it. But I'm just saying, I don't regard the point I'm making, which I, I think to diversify it a little bit is to say. If I ever sort of feel a little bit bad about, like, if I and I feel like I'm going for a cycle of bad thoughts, mm-hmm. I occasionally would kind of just slap myself on the face. Yeah. And I don't regard that self-harm. I just remind myself, as like, that's me just kind of waking myself up mm-hmm. to go, you know, you need to get out of this cycle of, of thinking such negative stuff. See, another way... you end up in a cycle otherwise. Another way is is obviously something like, not, not technically being an eating disorder, but when I get down, the first behavioural pattern I get into is just, Stop eating. Yeah. Uh, all right. It's and opposite I, for me. I eat too much. But I think yeah. it, it can work both ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is why, you know, I think we've talked about in the show things like fat shame. I hate the amount of fat shame that goes on society. People don't recognise. It's, it's funny. I was reading an article about that not so long ago. You know, because yeah, I, I see it as the same as someone who undereats. You I know, say becoming popular on Reddit. It's really annoys me. There's a subreddit of about it now because um, there's like a few celebrities who are being like harshly criticised. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Matt Myra on the Nerdist podcast, who's always had issues with weight, and he's talked about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He um he he mentioned it on a, a Nerdist show, basically just mm-hmm. talking about how people just spend their time saying how fat shaming, and he's actually he's made a really really interesting point of mm-hmm. saying that he understood it. Mm-hmm. from their perspective of mm-hmm. that he understood that like why can't you just not be fat and why can't you just not but he admits that his it's a coping mechanism mm-hmm. for him uh and I, i've said this to you off off air like you know in conversations we had for me it was smoking like mm-hmm. I, my, that, I, I i i still have the mindset of and i'm crazy for thinking this is that regardless of whether it hurts you or not in my mind I have to force my mind to not think this, but my first thought is that smoking's a good idea, which yeah. tells me I've got a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. just, um, and I think with my, going back to with my dad, when mm-hmm. he used to do that sort of form of self-harm, mm-hmm. I think it was a way of saying to himself, well, obviously I'm not kind of worth it. This is what I am to you. And I think 
me not eating, that's me saying to myself, you know, when I'm down, well, obviously I'm not worth it, so why why live? Why why are you eating? So, so I guess the, more, the interesting question in that is how do you get out of that feeling when you do feel like that? Is it just the thing where you've got to let it pass or is it the things you actively do? Because you touched on CBT because that's a, obviously a controversial thing. In the sen- I say controversial in the sense of some people think CBT is a complete waste of time. I found it useful in terms of that's just everyday useful, symptoms. Yeah. It's useful, but mm-hmm. the distinction we always have to make is when people go see what annoys me. Someone tries CBT, it doesn't work for them, and goes, "It's rubbish." Mm-hmm. But it does work for some people. Like, and I'm just interested in, or do you use that, for example, to kind of get you out of things? Uh, you allow it to let it pass. Going back to what you're saying before, if if you allow for those who don't know what CBT is, it's cognitive behavioural therapy. Yeah. Um, feel free to Wikipedia it as we're <laughs> talking about it. If you know the day is only twenty four hours long, and yeah. you know the next day is a new day. You can is it really? <laughs> <laughs> but going back to what you were saying, yeah. So if you allow the day, you can eat, whether you allow the day to defeat you or not. The next day is still a new day, and yeah. let you know you, you pray and hope, fingers crossed, that it is going to be better. And you know, seven, eight, nine times a ten, it sometimes is unless you're going through a really bad breakdown. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's. It, I, I find, in fact, going before before. Antidepressants, although I'm not on them now, the last thing I'm going to do is tell people don't take them because I know for other people they are quite useful. They are mm-hmm. kind of useful. And I actually had something called, I don't know if you've heard of it, cranial sacral therapy. I don't know if I've said that right. Have you ever heard of it? No, that? do tell. That it's a sort change. of a Reiki stroke reflexology stroke kind of hypnotherapy. Okay. And it was when my uncle. This I was, like um, it's like sort of spiritual side oh, of things well, i think yeah. spirituality type of things can be very useful i actually am looking into the idea of i used to be really against this but like meditating because well, i actually I meditate. think yeah i actually I do, think I it probably would help me i say i do yoga i try in yoga yeah. you know, i'm not quite flexible <laughs> because, but... i haven't got your leg around your head yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's trying he's yeah. trying um but yeah something like that would probably be very useful it's, it's, it's me. a proven uh, uh, method amongst, yeah you know, top because it makes sense to me in a very simplistic sense of I have an overactive brain. Mm-hmm. Doing something like meditation forces the brain to kind of just relax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, there's various techniques you can do. But cognitive behavioral therapy, I make the joke, the joke story I always give is the cherry coke story which i've mentioned on mentally sound where i went and bought a cherry coke and got very upset about the fact that i bought a cherry coke instead of a regular coke and the reason i tell that story is because then i already had a bad was having a bad day picked it up in a rush got the wrong coke and then i like went through the cycle of that's so that's why you suck everything's shit because look at what you've done and cognitive behavioral therapy tells you Mm -hmm. It is a, that's a very basic example of it but basically it shows you not to stack the deck of yeah. negativity yeah. because I already had a bad day but I was act, I'm exactly. actively and you don't where you do I remember this, my actively, nurse telling me the exact same thing yeah. if you feel that something's really went wrong don't feel that the rest of the day is going to pan out that way mm-hmm. there's still time and, to take and also you don't you just don't realistically look at the world and go that would have happened regardless of how I felt mm-hmm. And I mean, like, you know, if you nearly get run over by a car, you you automatically assign that as to why you suck at life. Yeah. Realizing that, like, you know, you could go out on a really good day and still not get hit by a car. And it, it you assign no value to it yeah. because you're not feeling bad. And they, they you could, the, what annoys me when people who don't do therapy mm-hmm. look at, like, something like cognitive behavioral therapy and go, well, why would I need that? I actually make the argument of it's stuff like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm but can be useful in people's everyday life, yeah. not just yeah. us. Like, you know, because so many people do that. Mm-hmm. So many people assign stuff 
to how they're feeling at the time mm. and go, that's the reason the world hates me. Yeah. I've, I do it all the time. I have days where I go, like, my tech, if technology fails, I'll go, it's because I'm shit at everything. Mm. And it, but it's because we're human beings in that sense. We're, mm. we're going to assign meaning to stuff. But, but going back to that cranial matter. therapy, yeah, I mean, do tell me that. It's, it's sort of a, what it is, it goes through the kind of very typified kind of the way that people sort of slate these sorts of therapies off where they want to know how you know in terms of energy flow through your body and where it might be might be blockages and stuff like that you know mm-hmm. so i was lying down on the table and she was like you know pulling my leg over here and then sort of getting you know getting getting the blood flowing and that but once she got to to the mental side of things she would tell me right go back to that period that traumatic period you know and freeze frame an image in your mind in your mind and it's probably going to be very vivid. It's going to be very colourful because it's still sharp in your head. Now, what I want you to do is is to drain that image of its colour. So basically allow the colour to filter off and make it black and white. Mm-hmm. And that way, it sort of stamps it in history and it helps kind of put you behind and move on. Nice. And once that can fix it into someone, it can be really helpful. Yeah. So I can understand the technicalities of how that works. It didn't work with me. But I didn't walk out of there thinking, oh, Lord, yeah, rubbish. Yeah, but of behavioral therapy doesn't, like, sort of, as you said earlier, it doesn't sort of fix my problems overnight, but mm. I find it very useful. Mm. Like, so there's certain... I, I've applied it to certain scenarios, but the thing is, is that there's a, there's a new version called DBT, which is basically more of, of the emotional disorders out there, which, which I haven't had yet, mm. but as I'm told is very useful for stuff like bipolar disorder, which is very mood-orientated, mm. so... Um, so it doesn't sort of get mm. to the core of why I feel the way I do, but it just helps me with the symptoms, and that's mm. always useful. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, that's it's. Uh, so how I suppose looking at it now, how do you, how do you, how do you, do you feel like you can cope with it now as you've gotten older? Because we're talking about stuff that happened to you when you were a teenager and obviously in your twenties. But how do you feel now? Do you feel like you've got a grasp of it, or is it just a case of like you treat it as a day by day thing? Uh, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. I think I've accepted this is always going to be part of me. It's not going to be a solution that's thing, a, but that's real. I regard that as real. I use an sort yeah. of analogy where, you know, in your darkest times, you are in this tunnel, mm-hmm. but there's still light at the end, and if you just keep trudging towards that light, it can get better. And I think I am in a slightly better place than I was before. I'm very thankful that I'm part of this Mentally Sound show. I've met brilliant people like yourself and, you know, we've got, like, a community thing here. I'm, I'm grateful that I'm back at work and I've got some sort of routine because it wasn't that long ago where things like that just seemed impossible. So Did I'm you go for a period where you weren't working because you were ill or...? Yeah, well, my most recent breakdown was only, like, two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seemed... Could, like, touch on that just briefly because it's like, you know, because we, we touched on this earlier where we said, you know some people might find it really difficult when you love something as much as you do like mm-hmm. I missed six months of doing this apocalypse yeah, yeah, and it dropped and, and the thing I probably never spend enough time talking about is how much that hurt me it's like a bereavement isn't yeah, it yeah it, it hurt me because you want to do stuff yeah, like absolutely. that but I think the difficulty is that what I want you to, to touch on is to say people do you think it's the case of people don't realise the, the lack of capability you have like you, you're not capable of doing what you love, which kind of proves you're ill, isn't? Doesn't it really? That's yeah. what I find odd. Yeah. Do you think that's the case? Because I think there's an element, strong element. Of do you that, feel yeah. that you weren't able to work then during that period of time? Definitely not, because for you something just the last thing you wanted to do was the work. For something like this, you need to 
engage your mind into a more positive kind yeah. of mode of action. You need to want to do it. You yeah. need to be inspired. So being inspired can, can, can come from any, every, anywhere. I mean, for me, I can just be inspired by sitting on a bus and sing something. Yeah. You know, I'll take a picture of it and I'll make a mental note and stuff like cool, that. Yeah. When you're kind of cut yourself off from doing that, how else are you going to, you know, move that forward into you're right, your yeah. channel? That's what I mean by mind not, you, you some, haven't got a capable mind to do that. Some people can do that in a way, but they produce a very kind of emotional, kind of very dark, but not dark in a bad sense. Hmm. You know, a very kind of rough and raw kind of element of work. And it doesn't have to be art, it could be anything. And I tried doing that because I tried writing a block at that time, but it was really, really dark and very kind of you know. And I just yeah, I think making me feel. I think um, you know when you when you do something like this, and if especially if you've got a creative mind, I think this is something we all share. Creative people mm. is you again. It's this idea of not beating yourself up when you're not inspired, um, and if you do need to like have a mental, mentally free day where you're not doing something creative because the thing that i always struggle with if i have a day where i feel like i've not been creative i really do beat myself up mm. about that mm. um because i know that that makes me happy like mm. last night i had a really great sleep because i'd like edited a podcast i'd done some promotional stuff mm. i did streaming online um and mm. i like put a bunch of videos together yeah. and uh, creatively I felt fulfilled and that yeah. makes me go it's to sleep that helps me it? go yeah. to sleep yeah. because I feel like I've done something worthwhile mm-hmm. with my time mm-hmm. even though there's always business stuff to do and there's always the boring side of it that I have to do but even that like but sometimes I have days where I can't do an 18 hour day because I'm not capable of doing that so you've just then got to process the thing of going well I did that today mm-hmm. I did that bit today it's like on Sunday when like uh, on Saturday sorry when I felt like I wasn't doing a lot I just like did some laundry mm-hmm. and I just like, like sort of like went well that's just that's yeah. important yeah. you did that so give you give you some one, one common feature when you talk to other people who are, you know have various mental health issues is that how rewarded they feel by just doing the most simplest yeah. thing and yeah, she, it does make That's you feel That's something you have to tell yourself so like, to you do. Know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to do any food shopping the weekend. And if I get to able to do that tonight, tomorrow, I'll yeah, just, as soon as I do. bring the shopping in, I'll just think, you know, good on you, you know? Um, I want to talk on, because I know we're pressed for time. We should have finished like a second ago. But um, I just I wanted to ask you quickly, because I know I, I follow you on Twitter. I obviously recommend people follow you, uh, Vivid Rick. Viv, yeah, <laughs> Vivid Ricky on Twitter. Um, uh, and I've seen some of your tweets obviously and um i i i would go as far as to say you're politically active i don't know what the right phrase is because i know people are mentally sound with joking oh i'm a politician i'm like no you're not because you know that politicians (laughs) is a job so i don't know did you see that discussion that was ridiculous because i was like you're not a politician (laughs) come on i mean surely you don't think yourself as a politician but i mean i would say you're politically you're a fan of politics like using you're you're passionate about politics is the best way of saying it i imagine it's interesting because I never really engaged in politics when I was young. I think, you know, I went to very early um, holidays to India, for example. And when you go to somewhere like that, a third world country, when you're really young and you see things, images where you didn't think existed, we're talking about absolute raw poverty. You know, you, you got kids running around with barely a, barely a fabric stitched on them. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. kind of running around. And you're thinking, how did I fathom that? <laughs> I remember my uncle, when he got married, I was a page boy. 
and we were sitting in the back of this ambassador car. I hate that word. I hate that. It just really doesn't fit what Which the job word? is. The page boy. Like I was a page I boy. Think of any I was page. No, you're right. It's right. It's the right word. I mean, it's what people use. It just doesn't seem appropriate for what you're meant to do. It's like a, you're an, you're sort of an usher. Or like, a you're mascot page or something. Boy. Yeah, I don't know. You're like a, an usher. Yeah. I was that at my, my, my sister's wedding. But anyway, yeah. this, anyway, it's just me being fanatic. So I was just sitting there in the, the back of the car, and I just and then this gate opened at the side, and, and this stream of kids. Like I say, barely a stitch on them came and they were sticking their, their tiny little arms through the window just begging for money, just any sort of shrapnel pennies. Because, you know, weddings, sometimes they chuck shrapnel and stuff. So anything we had would give it. And I just couldn't really fathom. So come up, coming back here and then you just think, you know, something's not right. How can people live like that? Surely the world isn't fair. And then it kind of gradually evolved. And I just, I've just strived for equality and... You know, things like I got involved with anti-racism projects. You know, I've done gigs over the monument. I've had a really great time. It's going back towards what you're saying about missing the things I used to do, that's one thing I really miss, and I hope that I'll be able to do that sometime again. What's that, doing gigs? And stuff? Yeah, just because I still because I still have an anxiety problem, I worry that I let people down. Mm-hmm. So I'm deciding not to sort of divulge into that just yet. Yeah, you can occasionally not be responsible. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, be reliable, sorry. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. But with something like what we're doing with Mentally Sound, there's a there's a collective feeling about what who we all are, mm. what all our vulnerabilities are. Mm. So there's a sense of, like, solidarity. I love, that, I love that we... I love in that show, and this is the podcast, this podcast is the same. Mm. I love the idea of that, you know, the, the actual asking of the question is not you know sort of frowned upon because mm-hmm. i think it's an appropriate question to ask mm-hmm. um and i think it i always find it interesting if you ask something and they refuse to answer it that kind of tells you more in the mm-hmm. sense of it tells you that they're, they're, they're not dealing with whatever yeah. it is that you're asking them mm-hmm. um and it's as, as as you said earlier i think i was just like sort of telling the truth is far more valuable than bullshitting mm-hmm. and it's far more i find it more far more interesting to hear someone talk openly about something than kind of go i'm not prepared to talk about that I just find that. I mean, the thing with, really with politics silly. as well, it's not so much, you know, I love the world. That's led with truth. <laughs> it's more that I'm frustrated <laughs> and angry about it because, yeah. you know, there's people's lives on the line who are, de- who are made by these people's decisions. And when it's when you see people in front of your own eyes, these people are close to you, you know, people who are going through uh, really like bad phases time, in life, yeah. whether it be physical illness, mental illnesses, and not getting the right help, then it or makes you losing angry. Losing rights and privileges, exactly. yeah. Exactly, and yeah. then, you know. Um, I was going to ask you because this is something I, I see a lot in, in videos and I always find this interesting because I used to think this. I kind of keep changing my mind on it. But do you think everyone should be sort of politically aware considering it has such a massive impact on their life? Because I, I know like I, I would say I'm aware of it. I used to like it a lot and I used to be really involved in it at uni and I used to watch like Question Time and, and, all, the, and all the other political shows. Now I'm kind of less so, but I still feel that it's important to vote. Yeah. I still feel it's, and I still think I'm 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 a, I'm a passionate about sort of politics in the sense of I'm passionate as you say about helping people, mm. which falls into that bracket. Mm. But I'm just interested to know, like, do you think people should more like, especially when stuff affects them directly? I mean, that's my angle um, on politics is the fact that I want a more caring, compassionate society. Yeah. But, um, but I think the point I'm making is I would want that regardless of politics. If you include yeah. politics in that i think we should all want that regardless but i think I, you see i don't i don't blame it's very easy to laugh at people who you know what sometimes you see these vox pops on programs you know asking people who who's the chancellor who's such and such yeah, and they like, don't no, know yeah and then it's very easy to laugh at them 
But in some ways, I don't blame them for not knowing because the way politics comes out towards people, it's a very boring, very kind of... Why would a person who's spending that time looking after a kid be care about a person in London who yeah. never knows what their life's like? Yeah. Um, I think part of the problem is... You'll always hear the phrase out of touch, and yeah. it's so true. Yeah, but they're out of touch in a... In not an, not in a kind of screw them way. It's a I need to survive way, which mm. kind of tells them that politics aren't polit, politicians aren't doing enough for them. No, I meant know? out of touch the, politi- the politics. Oh, the politics are yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant the other way around. It's, oh, okay, it's yeah. more them. You know, the, yeah. the, big, the big wigs kind of say they're out of touch with what people are really like, and a lot of them are. So that's are from easier to say. Very privileged backgrounds. Do you find that's easier to say though? It's easier to say as you as you point out. It's easier to just say, oh, they're out of touch, as opposed to we're doing a bad job. It's just they'll go, oh, that would touch, because you put that in the box I think it's then. quite easy, because yeah. there are some good politicians out there who do Oh, actually yeah, definitely. There's few and far between. <laughs> definitely, yeah. I mean, what what most... I'm going to just add this briefly, and then we need to wrap up. But um, uh, what most uh, disappoints you? Like, whenever you see sort of politicians talking and all that kind of thing. I suppose, like, what's the thing that most, you know, grinds mm-hmm. your gears in terms of what people say? This might more reflect on my uh, angle on things. I think I think things like denial. I'll give you a recent example. I mean, I used to be part of. Well, I'm still part of a group called Campaign Against the Arms Trade, which is a, um, you know, the arms trade is yeah. a very it's a very lucrative market. It's, they've got very big lobbies in government. Yeah, it's a very easy and great way of sort of influencing people and making friends around the world. You know, rich people. And Basically, you're referring to like you know what Americans did, where they supplied the Vietnam people with guns against against Russia, and then they ended up. It works in every case. I mean, case of that. yeah, we're finished now in a sense. Anyway, yeah, thanks. No worries. No problem. Yeah, but yeah, we're just talking about Russia. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we, 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 but yeah, we were just saying about. Um, so, what in particular do you not like about that? Well, there's a there's a there's a politician, the Brighton MP, Caroline Lucas. I don't know if you've heard of yeah, her. Yeah, uh, briefly. I'll say she asked a while. question in Parliament yeah. about. No worries. Oh, she asked a question. In, do you want me to start? No, no, it's fine. Let's okay. go for it. I can, I can. She asked in uh, Parliament. This was in regards to the refugee crisis as well. Do you think our sort of trade links with countries like Saudi Arabia, who I think are amongst our biggest. Um, like purchases clients, of, yeah. our, of, our, of our weapons trade. <laughs> it's the right word, customers. Yeah, it, <laughs> so yeah, it, does, it does make it sound, make it sound yeah. customers, yeah. Do you not think this is a, is, a, is a sort of a link which needs to be severed in yeah. order to stop these sorts of things happening? Do you not think this contributes to stability? And it was like, denial, no, no, it doesn't. And it so blatantly is, because a lot of these weapons, they're sold to various dictatorships, and a lot of them fall in the hands of like terrorists, and, and then you get the instability, then you get wars, then you get the refugee crisis. It's a cycle of violence, and when you get people denying that because you know the answer they give back, it brings money, it brings jobs. I just that's one thing. Yeah, uh, I hate when they have that. I absolutely detest when they justify it by saying it's like I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill. Like it's, it's almost like saying I'm gonna kill this baby because we can use its limbs to save like a hundred people and it's like but yeah, you're killing yeah, one life yeah, yeah. like and you're affecting one life it Collat- just it, collateral damage yeah yeah exactly and and i get very annoyed at that because that's not that's kind of um twisting it to fit your criteria of what you think's the right thing to do yeah. um i touched on this yesterday um I, I can't remember how i got onto it but i basically said i think it was the last vlog i did on my youtube channel where i basically said my problem is it's a bit like if i was a person who owned 50 million mm-hmm. 
and I looked at the world around me and seen how much that 50 million could change a bunch of people's lives, mm-hmm. I would be a person who would sit there feeling incredibly guilty about holding on to that money yeah. because I'd, no one's ever going to need 50 million to live mm-hmm. a life. So I would, you know, even, I, I said, even if I was egotistical enough to build hospitals and name them all after mm-hmm. me, at least then I'm doing something yeah. meaningful with my name and my money. Mm-hmm. And then I could like maybe make a video game company and hire a bunch of people to do video games. Or I can, you know, I could do something even just in the grassroots of mm-hmm. helping po- maybe helping poverty by donating to Africa and something or, or whatever it may be. Um, the, 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 this is why whenever people bring up like you just said, which is you're completely right in, in the sense of they always justify it by with money. Mm-hmm. And I think money is the biggest problem because... We always go on about having more money, but the issue is never the amount of money, it's what we fucking do with it. Mm. Um, half of the problem is is that, you know, if you look at the statistic of, uh, it may have changed since then, but I remember reading it at the time, uh, that it's something like about 80% of the wealth is in 20% of people's hands. Exactly. And it's like, so, <laughs> like, no wonder... We have such a world that's diverse in terms of poverty because I mean, another, there's a, only a small amount of people that owns the majority of the decisions. If you hold the money, you hold the power, which gives money to them, power to the money, and power to the people who who control it's it. Capitalism, um, yeah. Really. Uh, um, but I mean, I just quickly uh, capitalism in a sense is yeah, wrong. But. It's like um, when we used to, you know, for example, there was B systems that were down at down at the uh, the river. Um, they supplied, you know tanks and war- warfare material to such such countries with really bad human human rights records and we used to hold not demonstrations we used to hold vigils down there yeah and we used to watch you sometimes we'd get up at like seven in the morning because a lot of these come in really early to do their shifts in the night shift leave you know uh-huh. and it's very easy for us to sort of demonize and scowl at people that work in there or you're working for a deadly arms trade but we accept that these people have got families as well they need to support so what we used to say to them is is to lobby your unions because you guys have got really good skills. Why not diversify and produce things like renewables because you've got the various engineering skills. Surely that's more long-term. Look at Nissan. They're turning over a hell of a lot now with their new sort of hybrid vehicles yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And surely renewables is, Honda, is the way to go it, yeah. now because fossil fuels have only got how many decades left? But again, I mean, that is another fucked up attitude that they have because i mean america is the main proprietor of this is that they they, they are always going to look at how to keep going as something that is never going to yeah, never going to continue yeah. Yeah. it's not justifiable but i mean if you ever read about the reason they went into afghanistan have you seen that the the, yeah. the, the main reason if you ever read the documents which are actually available online you can find them if you, you look about enough. project new centuries basically the whole thing over they found a vein of lithium that's worth a trillion dollars that basically okay. lithium is used in cars, mobile phones, because mm-hmm. you, you lithium is a very, mm-hmm. um, a very varied material. Mm-hmm. You can you can manipulate it sure. to be a bunch of different things, um, and the real you can make a justifiable argument that um, the main reason they went there is because that could last them maybe another hundred years of them being in the current society they're in, rather than spending money on global warming, which will cost a shit ton at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But will essentially save their way of life, but they don't want to think that they don't want to think that way. They don't want to. It's a bit like Stephen Merchant made this joke about America. America spent the time arguing about stuff that we figured out in the sixties. 
and way beyond that but every time you ever sit in a senate meeting or on a real time with bill marsh or whatever in america they got they just spend their time arguing mm. so adoption is that a good idea and we figured this out in the bloody 60s and we're and we're like and yeah. they're still arguing about stuff that we're talking about the big issues over here mm. we're talking about how we can make a better and various other things and you know just think about the fact that when we were growing up i think about this now having my own places we didn't even have recycled bins, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, at least we go into the trouble now of that people, yeah. c- we collect recycling, because that's... I mean, just a quick example, helps, a, yeah. a company called Lucas in the 70s, they were in a similar position where they were, I think, they were producing batteries for military hardware and stuff. All right. Um, now, this was kind of going post-Vietnam, post-Vietnam when there was a lot of anti-war feeling around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the workers did, I think it was their own initiative, they got together with their unions and said, we're not p- entirely happy given what we've seen in Vietnam, all the carnage, mm-hmm. a war that should never have happened, and we're still doing this sort of work. Yeah. And so what, what they were able to do was they diversified their skills and they transferred their engineering battery skills to, towards science. Nice. So, so Actually did something useful. So companies like Campaign Against the Arms Trade and other ones have kind of used that as a blueprint. That what you but can you do. touched on it, you made a really valid point where you said, when you were talking about um, uh, Nissan, is... Mm-hmm what some company by if if some company puts all their wealth and interest in in coming up with a viable alternative mm-hmm. they're going to be the biggest company in the yeah. world if they if, if it takes off when it should mm-hmm. and we're getting there i mean i don't know if you ever saw that i remember honda were the first ones who ever did that electric car test which they had on the market and you know they obviously had tesla as well mm-hmm. um but um and it's it it's certainly a possibility yeah. um you know because the thing that annoys me is you get all the companies who pretend that this doesn't exist and pretend we don't need them by bashing electric cars and saying you see environmentalists they don't. get tarred as well you, yeah, you, you just go no i don't know what they're talking hippie, about yeah. like there was a guy on real real time with bill maher that absolutely pissed me off where he goes oh well in uh in the 80s uh global warmers said that the the, the hawaii was going to be covered in water and it still mm-hmm. is here so they don't know what they're talking about and i'm like mm-hmm. That is like kind of seeing. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a, an equally as stupid argument. That's a bit like, I don't know. That's a bit like going to world. That's a bit like being in World War One or something and going, um, well, uh, we only need to worry about this war because there's never going to be another world war. Oh, wait a minute. Thirty years later, there is. It's like it, it is. It, it looking at old data and imply and, and it completely ignoring the years in between. What got us to that point is literally defining ignorance Mm. um and that's again my point is that's a lot of people mistake argument and debate Mm. for crowbarring in very wayward evidence that'll fit their already criteria of what their argument is Mm. their their point of view it's not looking at someone with the evidence and changing their mind Mm. uh and unfortunately these and as, as we touched on there's too many people in the world that make too much money mm. the way the world currently is so they're prepared to let the world be poisoned and, and destroyed mm. because it's all about money it's all about how much money they can make which is a horrible thing if you spend too much time thinking about it you just got i get depressed because i'm just like as i said if i had the power of money i would use it just the very last it. one the, the latest kind of what got my goal was a discussion this morning they were talking about gun gun violence in America again. Yeah, oh, fuck it. And that, and that really kind of because we we had this guy who was an NRA representative. And he was talking. Oh, I was going to talk about them. I'll tell gun, you what. Gun free zones and let's arm our teachers and 
the reason why all our kids at school are getting killed is because our teachers aren't armed and stuff like that. And it's literally, it does make you want to smack your head right like into they the said wall. with the the school massacre that they said the um the only the the way they would have got they should have got around that is they did try to justify it by saying so if all the all the kids were armed yeah. that would have stopped it. And they're even. This even got with some entrepreneur I saw on the internet who's trying to and flog like, um, bulletproof um, bags, like rucksacks. What world are we living in where kids can't go it's to It's because school? they don't. It's, again, they don't it's, it. it's all about money and it's all about well, the again, fact that yeah. they... Lo- the NRA have five million they members. Love they guns. lobby They their, love guns. They love, the, they they love guns. Lobby their... They'll quite happily in America try and get I love you, Philip Morris, isn't it? Yeah. I'm using that as an example because that's that was Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor playing two gay guys, mm-hmm. a very famous case. Yeah. But at Morris was a guy in prison, mm-hmm. and his lawyer fell in love with him mm-hmm. uh, while he was mm-hmm. helping him in his case. And that's a it's a good story, and it's got a good premise to it. And they tried to buy it in America because of the whole form of tendency. So they have a problem with a gay guy screwing another mm-hmm. gay guy, but they don't have an issue with. Like so, why not have the same thing of well, a gun kills somebody? Why not get rid of a violent film? But no, they'll never how's, even how's, touch how's, a violent. Did film. you know this? Um, you can't. I don't know if it applies to every state, but in some states, you can't buy a Kinder Egg. <laughs> what well, has a toy in? Because a little toy could be hazardous to a young kid or uh, choke on it or something. Yeah. Yet, half a mile down the road, you can buy an AK forty-seven. <laughs> You can buy an AK forty-seven or a what if they or a put, Kalashnikov with what your if they, What if they got someone to make a big enough Kinder egg? We're giving them ideas. <laughs> I was going to say whoever makes Kinder eggs. I don't know who it is now, but that would be brilliant. Oh, that's hilarious! But I just want to make a quick story about NRA to show how hypocritical they are. Right? Mm-hmm. I saw this on CNN that um, they showed a clip of the vice president of the NRA in 1998 saying we should have a limit to how many bullets you can do, we should limit the amount of weapons we should do. I can't remember the guy's name, but it might be something like that. Is he the president now? Well, he's he's, the one one who came out at the, the, I think, was it the last one in um, Connecticut? The shooting there, he oh, right. came out saying, "Yeah, it might be." The, re- yeah, the reason right you might yeah. you might be right because yeah. the 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 point I'm getting to is he's now got a massively predominant role in NRA. He was like the vice yeah, president at the time. Good. There's a clip of him though in 1998 on a camcorder in the mm-hmm. Senate saying it was after the. Do you remember the 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 school massacre with them kids? Uh, it was the in the 90s. I don't know Colum- if it was 98, Colum- but it might have been Columbine. Yeah. And um, he mentioned in the Senate the exact same things that people are rallying for now mm-hmm. that he claims that they're not interested in. It. So he, he's completely hypocritical. Mm-hmm. I mean, they said he always changed his mind. But the NRA never used to be what mm-hmm. it is now. Mm-hmm. It used to be literally like it is. It used to be the one that like safe gun control. Like To compare it to how we deal with guns, my friend Scott, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, he has a gun. And he does it because he want he goes clear pigeon shooting mm-hmm. with his uh, with his with his dad, mm-hmm. and it's a literally a bonding thing between mm-hmm. him and his dad. Mm-hmm. And I am you know as a person who doesn't like guns, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I hate the idea of if we ever became a society that had a bunch of them. I don't sit there, and I know I'm friends with them, but I I'm not. I never sit there and feel like I'm worried that he owns a gun. Mm-hmm. And then when you when he told me how hard it was for him to get. They literally, they send a police car around mm-hmm. with a bunch of police officers, an actual 
specific weapon guy who literally does cases for this. It's not just a random police officer. Mm-hmm. It's a guy who comes. They check your credit credit history. They check. Um, they check your criminal record. They check your parents' criminal record. They check the criminal record of whoever you're living with. So it's basically um, a CBR check of everyone you're. Everybody with, you know, not yeah. just you. You know, there's you know to put it into perspective of how hard that is. You don't even need to do that to get a job, mm. like. But for a weapon, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're relying on having people around you yeah. that are also sane. You don't yeah. go into a job and go, oh, "I'd love to get this job, but what is your mother like?" Yeah. Like, you know, th- that you don't. That doesn't happen. That you just tell them the fuck off. It's not their business. But, but no. But seriously, like, yeah. Um, he had to jump through hoops, and he, he kind of got lucky in the sense of as well that his dad already owned a gun, so it was sim- it, they knew that it, he was reliable in that sense. But also, they have to be in a safe, has to be security locked. You're the only person that has a security locked. If you do not have the gun in the safe, um, they do sporadic checks as well. Mm-hmm. And if you are not holding it in the safe mm-hmm. that they provide, you can get severely penalised and sent to jail and all sorts of stuff. Honestly, if you read about the, 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 the system we have here, it's amazingly brilliant. Um, well, all of that changed after Dunblane. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, a lot which of it changed since the Scot- that was the Scottish. Scotland, shit. Do you know? Um, and I saw this not so long ago. Do you know Auntie Murray was yeah, in the school? school yeah. yeah, I was in one yeah, of the classrooms. Yeah. So. I think he, he, he was told in, the hair yeah. hiding at the table. Uh, he was in the so, gymnasium, yeah. and he they said he went past him at the time, mm-hmm. and he's just he never talks about it. But yeah, that was I actually remember that growing mm-hmm. up. I remember it very briefly. It was in sixth form. Um, yeah, that was nuts. But yeah, and, and again, that is, annoys me. They compare that. They they have that they have a Dunblane on a monthly basis. I know, yeah, you hear it all the time. Something that Michael Moore says quite often: how many times do you need to be punched in the face to realise that something's wrong? Yeah, to go, oh, why is that person punching me in the face? Not going, how can we make it a person's right to continue to punch me in the face? (laughs) And it's like. I don't know what you think as well. What what also makes me laugh is they always claim the Second Amendment as in that mm. can't be touched. Mm. It's called the Second, Second Amendment. Amendment as in it got amended yes. because the first time wasn't fucking... It's like, it's like, I hate when they make it sacrilege as in that will not be trusted. They're a very paranoid... And it only, means, it only means your right to defend yourself. It doesn't have anything to do with guns. It's the fact that they use the whole... Because it has to bear arms... Mm. Is it? That's like, but to bear arms, you could mean that as a boxing match. Or yeah. You could have it. It's just it, and because I don't like it when people counteract it from my argument when they go, "Oh, but that was only meant for muskets." It's like that's just stupid. <laughs> that's just stupid because that's how long ago it was written. But it's just like it's like I don't really, I, I, I don't think that's a, a fair statement. But I get they didn't have super automatic. I guess they just with magazines yeah, containing how many. But exactly, if you want to have a gun and use it for recreational use or defend a person entering your house mm. why would you flip a need an ink unless you were mm. the shittest shot in the mm. world mm. like you only ever want it for self-defense so surely having a six shooter mm. is you know and i'm not even i would prefer if no one had guns it would be awesome mm. but um because i just don't feel that you need it like you know um uh, yeah, it, it's never gonna. That's never gonna change. I, I agree with Bill Maher. Bill Maher pumped it up and said that we have a fax, fixation with guns. The people who like guns are the same people who have a collection of them who he, polish he them every day. Gun, no, and he said like yeah. you would feel naked without them. Yeah. And he, but he, but he says he doesn't find that, that himself a contradiction in saying that because he says I feel I I use it as a mentality of I'm defending my home. Mm. 
and he's almost like it's joining them rather than trying to make yeah. them change their mind. Yeah. It's it's the lesser two evils to have that protection, knowing that everyone around them probably is carrying as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we've went way over time, so we okay. need to not um, we need to not offend whoever we've lent this room to. <laughs> um, but um, I just wanted to say, are there any examples? Because I've never even talked about graphic design, but we can next time you're on at some point. Um, okay. uh, do you have any examples of what? Where did you? Where do you actually work? What's the name of the company? I never actually asked. Company's called Ronnie's. It's a. It's like it's a fashion warehouse. I remember I told you before I worked in the rag trade. Yes. Briefly, so yeah. I do bits of fashion, but also do packaging design and, and label design nice. and okay. stuff. But to be honest, honestly, though, when I was telling you before, when I was an activist, mm-hmm. a lot of my best work comes when I, so for example, did a Love Music Hate Racism poster. And mm-hmm. to see that hung up at the Clooney, for example, next nice. to all the big bands, yeah, uh, that was quite a thrill. And another time, I designed a, a an album cover for a mate of mine, who was like a musician, and his band was called Belly Laugh. And one of the best, best. Ironically, I laughed when he said that. One of the one of the best feelings that I remember was walking in HMV, which is no longer there, which is a big. Yeah, it feels weird. I know. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a big up mecca of music. Uh, for those that don't know, we've mentioned HMV before. It's, a, it's like a department store uh, mm. in, in England. Uh, so it's go, go went through there. some financial issues, but it's still around. And then uh, seeing my my work, if you, if you if you look, if you remember in Chronicle Order, Chronicle yeah, Order, used to do B, A to Z, yeah. B, Belly Laugh, and then next, and then the one or the one before, next step before it was the Beatles. So no, there's, oh, sweet, yeah. There's my album, and next to it was Sgt. Peppers. Nice. Oh, that would be that that was, that well was, sweet, that yeah. Cool. That was cool. That would, I would love that. Yeah, it's a bit like, um, I feel that way about podcasting. Like, you know, whenever I, whenever I um, you know, even, I know it's not technically sharing the same, but it's, it's just, well, it is. It, I just mean, we're never going to be side by side like that, but I just feel, you know, doing a podcast and then, he, like, whenever I listen to a podcast, mm-hmm. I do occasionally have the feeling where I go, I'm doing the same thing they are, yeah. and I and yeah. uh, it no, it does resonate really strongly. It was was it World Podcast Day the other day or something? Yeah, it was. Um, it was Podcast Day. So, so what did was, you uh, guys do? What, what uh, I didn't really do anything other than I I actually did what a lot of other podcasters did is I just tweeted what podcasts I liked, okay, and right. then they recommended me. So it wasn't like a big podcast. No, I actually, did, to be honest, I'll be I'll be honest. I didn't actually know it was a thing. No, uh, I, I think it's I think it's I think it's a. Relative, I'm guessing it's a relatively new thing because mm-hmm. um, they all I have to say though and I mean no disrespect because obviously podcast day is relevant for me and it was really nice I actually got some tweets off people mm-hmm. saying recommend this podcast which is really kind mm-hmm. and I thanked them on the day I just tweeted thanks for the people who that uh, thought actually did cross my mind I was uh, thinking well how do I do this should I mention it yeah you just, just it was hashtag podcast it. day and mm-hmm. I think people still are it's still it's still a, a hashtag mm-hmm. so I think people are still doing it but basically um uh I'm probably going to annoy people when saying this, but I really hate this idea of making a day for everything. <laughs> I know. It really, I, know. I really, I'm like, just enjoy. I'm like, I get, okay, yeah, podcasts are great. Let's let's make a podcast day, but mm. podcast day is every day with me. Yeah. So I'm not really bothered. Like, anyway. But, um, but, but no. we all fall into that trap. I remember, when was it, last few months ago, World Record Store Day or something? Yeah. Because I mean, I don't to like... support our independent record stores mm. so i deliberately went into town and bought some a few it's like because um isn't uh we're coming up to and this is obviously important for both of us and i know mentally sound is uh, which you mentioned we're doing mentally sound as uh this will be released on thursday so it'll be the uh the friday after uh so tomorrow as you hear this mm-hmm. um we're going to be doing mentally sound and ricky's the co-host for, for that episode um but what i wanted to bring up is it's mental health week 
soon as well mm-hmm. um, and that's another thing where I kind of like I'm glad that we do a mental health week because that's sort of different in the sense of I think that's bringing an awareness to something mm-hmm. and having a, a week where we let people know about it that has more value than I guess my point is just having a random day for a random thing that kind of everyone knows what a podcast is or yeah. if they don't they've yeah. at least heard of it yeah. Um I don't know, but maybe I'm just being a bit overly critical. But I don't know. I just find it. I just find it annoying when this kind of go. It's Elvis Appreciation Day. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I have to care about Elvis. To be now, honest, right? I don't. Th- I don't think. I don't think half of them would have existed if it wasn't for social media. Yeah, I know. It's just. It, it, I guess the whole reason that they do it is kind of as we're seeing with podcasting. It just it starts an open yeah, dialogue with yeah. people, which is always nice. Yeah. But um, it's just this idea of if you don't like participate in it you're missing out on something i'll say this um to be fair when world mental health day was it it's it's is it a week's time two weeks time i think it's uh the 10th or something 11th 10th 11th so like next week sometime but this world mental health day last year was when they had some things going down at the monument yeah and that's why i met certain people which is to where i i wouldn't have met you otherwise I don't oh right okay well yeah no i'm saying that's that's a good example because yeah. that's something where you sort of rally people together like podcast mm-hmm. like with any sort of hashtaggy things i mean you know sending out a tweet is fairly simple um but like a week of doing something mental health related that that requires a, a certain mm-hmm. amount of effort um uh, so yeah, I think it's kind of appropriate that we're doing like we've talked a little mm. bit about mental health because it's gonna you know this is gonna be released probably uh, like the, the week of shows I do would be this week would be the, the this would be the podcast where it's or the, mm-hmm. which would be on the latest one I've done mm-hmm. for mental health. So we've talked about it a little bit, so that's mm-hmm. kind of good. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention before we go? Just um, is there any like any examples? That's what I was getting. Is there any examples of your work online? Like, have you got a portfolio anywhere? Or you can go on Ronnie's uh, website. It's mm. Ronnie'sInternational dot com. I think. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Google Google Ronnie's Ronnie spelled R O H N I S. Okay. You see some stuff on there. I'm glad you said that. But if you go on, um, <laughs> if you go on like sort of love music, hate racism, or UAF, some stop the war stuff. Um, more regional ones you might see examples of posters I've done on there cool so uh, I say most of my best work is through activism and stuff because mm-hmm. um, you, you like have the motivation like behind yeah it. There's, there's, there's a bit more you talked about awareness and, and, and that's the sort of driving force behind that you know? awesome I mean work is work and sometimes you have to answer the client's brief it's not always where you want it you have to meet their needs as well so sometimes you can't put 100% of you into a design piece that's for a client you know sometimes they might have they have to yeah. tell you yeah no I get, I get that completely mm-hmm. um, it's it's whenever you do a project that isn't yours let's say mentally sound you know we have to, I have to you know as, even as a host you have to adhere to what yeah. Gareth wants to do and people behind the scenes mm-hmm. so no I totally get that but no that sounds good so um, as I said earlier you're on Twitter I guess is the, the, the most active place to find you I yeah. know you're an active Twitter so it's at Vivid Ricky um, uh, please do follow him and uh, have a have a gander. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on. This is really oh, this is really fun. I hope um, I hope it was it. painless. <laughs> I'm, also, I'm also looking forward to Friday as well. Uh, yeah, mentally sound. sound yeah, no, it's going to be good. I, I can see us flying by in that episode. Well, like, I think I, I really um, enjoy the chemistry that we have when when speaking because they call it shooting the breeze to use the the radio terminology. And I think I, I really have that with you. And I think, no, yeah, you know. Well, I think. Um, uh, if you have someone that's comfortable speaking, and even if you're not comfortable speaking, um, having someone that's 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 capable of doing it makes yeah. the job far easier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very very difficult. Um, I had that feeling with Carol a little bit um, when she first started that it it felt like I was trying to get blood out of a stone, and mm-hmm. that she just 
would say you know kind of stop gaps in media that yeah. you're not meant to do like it's sort of like in in it's we regarded as improvised comedies blocking where you where you where it's you like s- when you have in your mind right i'm going to talk for a few seconds and i yeah. do hope you follow it up because it's going to be because i feel like mm-hmm. you know I'm, you no know, and you kind of go like oh have you got anything to add on that and it really frustrates me when you give them the opportunity to speak by saying that and then you get mm-hmm. someone that goes no, I'm alright. <laughs> like, yeah. We're on a show. You need to speak. Well, otherwise, why? Are you, here? you don't. You don't want to like it, right? My turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. Exactly. Because I, really I don't like that either. Okay, That's why yeah. um, I think one of the things I feel that I've developed in this show is that I find that the more interesting, and it's like this. It's, it's, I'm not saying this is I. I've came up with this because a lot of other people do this, mm. but having a presenter who listens and responds mm. is far more interesting than the conventional yeah. so vicky i hear you're a graphic designer and you and because you look you answer that and it's so vague that you're like well where do i start yeah. like whereas if we have a conversation like we're in a cafe talking yeah. about about life what that's i like far talking more interesting. With, why i like talking to you is it's like when when we have this conversation you ask the questions and then suddenly i think it's a healthy thing to go off on tangents on a in a while not, mm. well, not too far down but if your mind is thinking all sorts of different things, yeah, I need to mention that. I need to mention that. I will mention that because it's relevant. Then you know you're you're in, you're onto a good thing because you're. Well, I Roman, always think that. Roman does. I just think I, I said that to. I think I think Victoria really appreciated this advice I gave, and it's probably maybe good advice for you on the show uh, on Friday. Is um, I, Victoria asked me like, how do you deal with with talking to people and interviewing people? Because I've interviewed loads of people, mm-hmm. and I in all sorts of different criteria, be it ten minute interviews or this where it's long mm-hmm. form. And I always say the best way of um, approaching it is act like you're the if, as the host, act like you are an audience member. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is is you listen to the guest mm-hmm. and you ask the question. You would be thinking as if you're listening to it. Yeah. And I, that served me really, really well. So when you said, like, there were certain situations, if we, like, sort of, do, it's like we're doing a wrap-up show, like an after show, like, yeah. so how do you think that went? Uh, <laughs> so, um, I'm just kind of, like, you know, looking back, I, like, think of certain criteria where you said, you know, there'd be, the, the, the good thing about listening is you would say something within an answer. Mm. And if you listen to that, I then would listen to that response and in within embedded in that answer mm-hmm. is something where I'd go, that's fascinating. I don't, and like elaborate yeah, on that because yeah. that doesn't make sense or mm-hmm. I would like to know more about that mm-hmm. because that's me being the listener mm-hmm. uh, of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, what annoys me as interviewers, you'll find this all the time. That's why I, I hate, like Jay Leno is a great example of this because uh, uh, I love so certain late night hosts. But if you ever watch them and critique them and observe them as being an interviewer, they suck because they're all pre-done. And they'll go, like Howard Stern jokes about Jay Leno where he goes, um, like he made this joke where he went, so um, Jay, I love sleeping with men. And uh, he's like, he's like, this is what would happen in Jay Leno's show if I went. Ah, I like sleeping with men. And I, uh, uh, I took this time to announce it. That's that's great. So yeah, you got a film out. Uh, like exactly. that, that, that they do not. He's like, you could say anything, and they want you to say an answer that's Listen, prearranged. Bill Hicks um, is, yeah, is the. Total, I love Bill Hicks. He's he's my hero. Yeah, I've got his he's all of his DVDs. He's, so he's he's like Jay Leno is always the butt, and rightfully so. He's just like his uh, technique. There not, there's not many people that ever like him, and I, it shocked me that he was it's, number one. Well, on why ratings. why Bill hates him as well is because Jay back in the day was actually a very funny guy. Everybody very says that, I've, I've, I've and he just a, turned uh, to the system, yeah, become yeah. a Letterman part of the machine. That, like he was the guy. They were like Stern, said Stern in, says it in, as well, yeah. yeah. 
everyone sees it. Letterman, Stern, uh, Hicks, Conan. Um, there's a bunch of them. Like, there's a bunch of them who are like, you know, sort of rivalries of him when he was doing his show. Who all go. Leno as a stand-up comedian was the guy. He was better than Robin Williams. He was better than Eddie Murphy. He was, he was better than Steve Martin. He, was like, he had a fantastic. He was almost good in act. that kind of Richard Pryor mode. Yeah, and so as soon as he got his late-night show, yeah, he just, just went, kind of did all these yeah. shit monologues. And, Bill Hicks says something like, um, "Do you remember the show Blossom? It's like American sitcom. Well, you know Big Bang Theory. Um, yeah. What's her name? Amy." She uh, was she was the star. Marlon Bayek, yeah. Yeah, she was the star of Blossom. Just like all, all American girl kind <laughs> of <laughs> thing, <laughs> dealing with life. I didn't know blah, blah, blah. she. I, I thought I thought like oh, she was actually in, in something before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Big Bang Theory is actually a, a, an almost a, a reunion, a comedy connection, yeah. a reunion of, of people that were in different shows because like John uh, Galecki and her, and Sheldon's was, yeah, mom. What were they called? Roseanne. Were they Roseanne. That's yeah. it. Yes, I do know that. And um, Keely Quacko's in a bunch of random crap, but nothing any. In fact, they, they, they try to do a play on this. I don't know if you saw this, but Raj, Raj said in, in one uh, bit, said we're talking, we were talking about having inviting girls around for a party, and you know Raj has these random thoughts. He's, why don't we get that girl from the Wonder Years, or her from uh, Blossom? No, this was before Amy joined. <laughs> no, that was deliberate there because, because this is when what's her name, Miriam? You said uh, Miriam Bialik. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce that. Then she uh, joined straight Marian after, Bialik, so they knew yeah. what they were getting. She actually for. has like I know probably it's probably common knowledge now, but you know she has a PhD and she actually like yeah, really she, knows yeah, what she's yeah, talking about. Yeah. Anyway, we really need to go because yeah. I feel like we're disrespecting the people who are like we'll use this room. Anyway, but huge thank you to Ricky no, for coming well, on. Uh, looking forward to Friday, and yeah, obviously we're going to go and chat now and and. and uh, yeah, but this has been really fun. Uh, please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you're listening to this. Uh, obviously, tell people about it as well. Um, as you see, also do check out Mentally Sound, which we do on Fridays, uh, which is also on iTunes as well. Um, so please check that out because me and Ricky are part of that. Uh, as I say, when you're listening to this, uh, we are doing this total for GMT time on uh, Gravity Radio North East. You can w- listen online if you're not from England. It's You can listen to it uh, to your heart's content. So we're doing that live, Toodle 4. Uh, also as well, are you cool, uh, just really quickly, are you excited about doing some sort of documentary thing? That sounds really cool for mental health. Are you aware of this? No, tell me. Well, maybe you don't know. Um, you should know. Okay. Stupid Gareth. Uh, is there, um, oh, is this something the television? There's a, there's a television Victoria channel sent- on Freeview. Right. That are doing a thing for mental health and they're using us. Um, and what they're yeah, basically yeah, yeah. doing. Made is, in time and we are, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're, they're coming in on Friday. Yeah, too, and they're recording yeah. for like from 1 yeah. 30 to 3. Yeah. Uh, that was down to Steve O'Driscoll. Yeah, he, he was the one who recommended Because I, I, I was actually thinking along the same lines why don't we get the community channel? But Made in Time and We is actually part of the community channel. Like I know, I mean, I don't, I don't own a TV, so it's <laughs> like, like uh, I don't I own the regular off. TV. Um, I, everything I watch is Netflix. But they're, they're the ideal um, uh, to come other, in. Other, other stuff, I feel. There's a, there's a couple of... <laughs> I also like Hulu. <laughs> send me some stuff. Uh, say, can we call our Pepsi? Both, send me. Um, send me stuff. Oh, no. but I'm trying to get, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of uh, Look North journals who um. Tweet, tweet with so I'm trying to get them down as well so. oh, that'd be cool yeah, yeah maybe, it's a shame like a when Sky Tiny and we I are just around feel that we've got something you really unique and yeah, the local well, I, press I, should, should be I don't know what you think right but I know like we would have to get some serious help and we'd have to get like a full time team behind it but I really think eventually we should pitch this to a bigger established radio station mm-hmm. because there's very few there's, there's only one there's, I think when I did 
like bit of research when I was curious to know the answer to this is there's only like one show I know that does mentally yeah, sound mental health uh, stuff mental on radio matters. on uh, Radio Four, isn't it or something? Um, oh no, the one that was no, but there's like mainstream, yeah, radio mainstream. One I, mean. off, I took part in one last year. There's, uh, there was a mainstream. There's a mainstream one that's on like Radio Four or something, but okay. it's it was a uh, bill. Also, what what annoyed me? Well, annoyed me in a good way because obviously it's good that they're doing something. But Bill Bill Oddie, when he was going for you know, his problems, me. he did a special, and he said we should have this going on every yeah, and the then time they went now, yeah. and I was just like, because they just don't think. As I'm, we're hoping when you're listening to this podcast is, it is interesting to hear someone talk about their problems mm-hmm. because it's after the fact, so it's not a traumatic. It, it, well, it, obviously it hurts and it's traumatic, but but it's. It's imperative to get to know somebody. Mm. So I love Howard Stern for that. As much mm. as I, sometimes he pisses me off with mm. his attitude, is which he's allowed to do because it's a free country. But as it's just I, I, whenever he sits down with an interview, I like he interviewed Seth and he talked to Seth McFarlane from Family Guy and he and he asked him some questions and I was like I would so would ask that as well and no one else asked him that and like at one point Seth's like you know no one's ever asked that and I'm like that is the job of an interviewer mm. it's not to ask the same rudimentary questions which is why all them 10 minute mm. rotating interviews mm. are a pile of shit like they just they have no you meaning. love you love Howard Stern as much as you hate him but one time where I really do appreciate him as well you know the um, the comedian Audie Lang yeah he, he was on it yeah I to be part friggin of love him team. yeah he's very funny brilliant, brilliant very funny comedian. See, he tried to take his own life. Yeah, and they talked about it. They I've talked seen about it, yeah. it in depth, and they really they had really... a go. They really had a go at the media as well for the way they were portraying it. Yeah, because you know? they felt good like on you. good on you, Howard. You kind of what made me feel now. really sad in a like in a in a as to say, which I think they handled it really well. Is they almost said they were not sure whether they wanted to talk about it. Yeah, and for Howard Stern to say that because he's notorious for talking about things on air, he was said he was so upset about it yeah. that he's just like they were reluctant to even talk about it but as he's as you said what they got so fucked off with is that everyone had already talked about yeah. it so they they go online at six in the morning and already it had been promoted that he'd yeah. had a suicide attempt so they were like we, 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 it's all news mm-hmm. anyway but yeah no i do we do i do recommend how it's done as i say you, you, enjoy him in doses you follow, have to be follow Artie lang on twitter he's yeah he's very well, funny yeah. he's got a podcast actually i haven't it, listened yeah, to yeah, it yet yeah, i haven't listened, I haven't to, listened to it, it. it's called Artie quitter yeah um I got retweeted by his podcast because I he I watched a YouTube clip of him on Howard Stern, just a little quick snippet of him being hilarious, mm. and I just tweeted thank you because I was not in a particularly good mood that day, and I just tweeted well, thank you for making me laugh. And he's funny you should say that because he things. does see on one I heard one bit of a podcast where he does talk about uh, his reflections on his time on Howard Stern, yeah, and he says one thing that really gets me through the days is when people sort of get in touch with me to say, look, you know, I remember I remember that time when, when you were doing prank calls and you and uh, Sal and Richard, who were the prank callers on Howard Stern, you know, it made my day. And, Sal, and, and Sal is weird. Anytime I'm down, I just listen to a Stern yeah. podcast and with you in it and that gets... There was and that thing, motivates him to apparently, get to Apparently, because obviously, you know, the issues he went through and he finally left that show because he, mm. he had a second suicide yeah. attempt and then... Uh, he, he got Howard. He said he would go back, and Howard went. I don't think it's good for your health, so he left. And he apparently had a bit of like ambivalence and animosity about it. Like he felt like that he wanted to go back, but apparently he's done a podcast recently. I haven't got around to listening to it yet, but I, I'm going to make an, an effort to do it. Is apparently there's a there's a there's an episode where he, he just spends his time talking about that he feels he's got closure from it, and he actually does say in it, which has led me to have some hope because I do think if they do decide to quit that show. 
or like Howard retires, it would be nice for Artie to be part of it. I mean, and he said he'd be open to coming back, but mm. he is aware if he doesn't think it'll ever be like weekly or daily. It would be like a one-off to celebrate yeah, something. Yeah, but I really yeah, think they should because he, because he keeps getting asked. They never really, re- they never replaced him. They never replaced him. Have you ever watched the Robin, the, the video versions? Yeah. They never replaced them. George Decay. They never replaced them. Like because yeah. George is kind of still the announcer, but his yeah. actual chair yeah, they haven't replaced. The, yeah. Um, which he could do because they did replace Jackie Jackie what's his name who was a rich Jackie Martin or whatever his name was well they had a contest in the beginning didn't they and they already won and then they became part I actually started Wikipedia in that because I didn't know how many people they did and I I was shocked at some of the names do you remember the guy wasn't Jimmy Kimmel one of them yeah Yeah. very young Jimmy Kimmel Uh, the guy right I didn't know this and he's he's actually dead and I was shocked right because one of my favourite films is The Mask do you know the curly-haired guy who works in the bank with Jim Carrey's character? The Do you remember mask. The Mask? No, no, no. The, 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 there's, a, there's a film called The Mask. I'm sure you know yeah, the no, way he puts yeah. the thing up, right? There's a, there's a guy who's his friend okay. who has curly, curly, curly hair who's quite funny in it, who mm-hmm. plays his like bank manager who just like gets him to go to the right. Coca Bongo Club and yeah. stuff. And uh, he was one of the guys who was he was apparently okay. a very very good stand-up comedian okay. at the time, and he he uh, died of a, a like a, a drug overdose or okay. something, and he was only like forty because mm. it was like a bunch of comedians doing mm. tributes, and I had no idea. Um, mm. But yeah, there was him, Jimmy Kimmel, mm. um, I think. Uh, uh, I can't remember. There was a bunch of them, but yeah, few, there was a few. few and yeah. apparently, like, yeah. there was one guy I've seen some YouTube clips of being in who was quite funny. Mm. But apparently, and Artie even admitted he was like, I was not the funniest there. But they just mm. said apparently when they had a meeting about who they should pick, Jackie and Howard Stern. I think they realised there was a chemistry both with Artie. Says, as well, yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, like, who do you, the most important question: Who's you have the most fun with? Yeah. And they both went Artie by a mile. So that's how you got it. But yeah, interesting. There's, there's clips of Bill Hicks on Stern. I think they have telephone conversations. Oh, really, really years. old. Yeah, it must be like yeah. when he was at uh, K Rock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've become quite quite an anorak with Howard Stern. Like, I, I, never, I never used to. Although listen I listen to more retro rather than like listen to him every day or every. Yeah, week or I'll. Because I'll there's a lot of the stuff they talk or... about, like celebritism in, in America, stuff which I don't even know about. Which I, don't I have an American get, so. friend who obviously can you know who could who could listen all the time, and uh, I know you can get serious anywhere now. Mm-hmm. But um, do you know there's another good one, Gilbert Godfrey? Oh yes, he's, he's a great comedian. Yeah, have you ever he's seen them regular... do roast roasts? Comedy yes, roast. yes, yes, yes. He was great at comedy roasts. Yeah. And he's got a very... He's the guy with the weird voice, He's a regular, he? yeah. He's, he's a regular like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I'm currently listening to his, like... Because, you know... George DeKai. You know, there's stuff. something called a whack pack. Yeah, with uh, Jeff the Drunk. Eric the Midget, Jeff the Drunk. Um, uh, Alice, Crazy Alice. Crazy Alice, yes. <laughs> I'm trying to think there's a bunch <laughs> of them. Oh, brilliant. Um, but I'm currently going through all of them. But I think I've gone through all of them now. They're all like a part of their gigs as well. Er- which Eric I was died weird. last year. Eric I was, was cut yeah. up, up about that because he outlived his time, you know. Yeah, because he because he had the whole yeah. syndrome, didn't he? There that made him small. Dwarfism or something. Dwarfism, but yeah. he... It's the same as the guy like uh, what Andre the Giant had. Yeah. It's the other version, but the giant. It's, it, it, you have a you have a a a, a, a gland an over bear, like something wrong with a gland that mm. that leads you to be that big mm. and because you're that big you just have constant problems. The other wrestler, Big I've... Show got it. Big Show got it fixed. Do you Is know it? that? No. Um, what a horrible thing about Andre the Giant is he had obviously a terrible last couple of years of his life before he died because he was meant to die in his thirties and he died. He died at his 40s. father's funeral, didn't he? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And um and yet uh, what's very horrible is Big Show had the same giant's disease. Right. Uh, who's a wrestler even now, 
and he was like seven foot, four hundred pounds. He still wrestles. He still wrestles. Yeah, yeah, he was he still wrestles. Some people think he shouldn't be, but that's a different argument. <laughs> I've watched wrestling a little bit, and fans well, think he should have all... retired. He should retire. He's getting on a bit in age. That's all. But anyway, it's not that he's not good. It's, yeah, I don't blame him if he's if he's cured his getting disease. Getting a shit ton of money though. Um, if he's cured his so disease. I'd be like, you know, he's getting a shit ton, yeah. ton of money. So why wouldn't you? Um, but anyway. Um, uh, yeah, but the disease he had, the gland problem, they'd found a cure for, like, two years after Andre the Giant died. And if he'd have got it, he would have survived. Uh, so, But um, there's that other wrestler who died of the same thing? Um, El Gigante, do you remember the really tall... Mm. Do you remember? Do you know yeah, I know El Gigante. He fought Undertaker yeah, at one he, of the early I'm sure he had that disease and I, died of it as well. Mm, I don't... He, you might need to check if he did. Did he? Are you sure he died of that? Because if he oh. did, he just mustn't have had the. I think he did. Money, unless he didn't have the money to pay for it. But with, with such because Big Show got it paid for through rest of the WWE. So I, I didn't know there was a cure. Yeah, know. there was a cure that he found. It was exactly. I don't. He could have had a different version of it, maybe. But yeah. I'm just talking that Andre the Giant and Big Show. Had, I'm I'm talking as a layman, so I don't know this completely. Yeah. But all I know is Big Show said he had exactly the same problem as Andre the Giant did, and he got a cure in like 2000. What? Um, it was shortly after he like when he left WC. W went to went to, when he did the whole Andre the Giant uh, the Giant with Hulk Hogan then went to WWE. Mm-hmm. He got a cured because they found the problem and said, "Are you aware that this can be?" Because he had a random test there and it came up that he had the problem. He'd always suspected he did, but yeah, Big Show doesn't have the obvious signs because Andre the Giant had that huge jaw, huge teeth. Andre the Giant was massive and had the big giant hands, which is usually you have like quite quite deformed limbs in the sense. They're all different size to your body, whereas Big Show's just I, I, big. I, the Andre the Giant yeah. wrestling figure and uh, his hands yeah, are yeah, like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, he's insane, yeah. Uh, um, do you ever hear that story of he, he drank, like, 50 pints in one go? No. Um, it's a famous story that loads of wrestlers uh, mention. Um, he um, did 50 pints in one in one sitting or something, and they were, like, pints the, the size of his hand that when he picked up the beer like it was a glass beer thing mm. he would pick it up and it would like his hand would cover it and he would swig it and it he mm. drank 50 of them and he, he didn't affect them at all it's because he had a metabolism that was off the charts yeah, because of how yeah. big he was you know it's just like you know it's sort of like trying to stop mm. a rhino or something mm. you know you need a anyway we need to we need yeah. we've been chatting for another half an hour all right we need to stop but anyway huge huge thank to ricky yeah, uh, say do, please do um you're welcome on any time obviously but you know that anytime. Um, and uh yeah Check out Mentally Sound as well. Uh, that would be awesome. Also, you can available on iTunes. As I say, if you want to listen to the live version, you can do so on gravityradionortheast.com. Friday, 2 till 4 p.m. GMT time, for those that are interested, you can stream it on their website. Uh, as I say, me and Ricky are going to be co-hosts for that episode. Uh, please do support Mental Health Week, as we just mentioned as well. And as I say, please do um, uh, follow uh, Vicky, uh, v- Vicky? V- Vivid Ricky, I meant to say, on uh, Twitter. Um, as you say, he's in the politics. What kind of stuff you tweet is like politics and whatever's oh, on your and mind. Everything. It's uh, politics, it's mental health, and it's what breakfast he's having. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tweet the odd picture of trees or things, <laughs> things I find yeah. quite. Uh, so if you like trees, follow him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. So I'll end the podcast like I always end in the words of the great B movie Robot Jocks Crash and Burn. And we'll see you for another edition of Geek Heart Podcast very soon. Uh, thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. See you. See you guys. <laughs> You're listening to the audio version of the Geek Apocalypse podcast, brought by yours truly, Mr. Resident Geek, Stephen Hesse. We are available on iTunes as well on www.geekapocalypse.com. 
broadcast live and exclusively from Newcastle, England in good old UK. We also have a YouTube account, which is www.youtube.com forward slash geekapocalypse, where we'll be, we, we will be uploading all the videos from our podcast, as well as from Twitch. Speaking of Twitch, we are also just starting a Twitch account, which you can find at www.twitch.tv forward slash geekapocalypse, where you can follow us to find out all the streaming we will be doing on said site. Also, you can, if you want to know everything that we're absolutely up to, you can follow us on Twitter, which is at geek underscore apocalypse. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy being a geek.